is General Zod. I have journeyed across an ocean of stars to reach you. Your world has sheltered one of my citizens. He will look like you, but he is not one of you. To those of you who know of his location, the fate of your planet rests in your hands. To Kal-El, I say this. Surrender within 24 hours, or watch this world suffer the consequences. everybody, and welcome to a very special Superman podcast. My name is Michael Bradley, host of The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, and what you're about to hear is an all-star lineup of Superman fans and podcasters discussing Man of Steel, just hours after its Thursday, June 13 premiere. Uh, this is pretty much podcasting in the absolute raw, folks. It was a very impromptu gathering. We got together with no planning and even fewer notes. Uh, In a couple cases, the people you are about to hear had literally just arrived home from the theater. As such, there are some very minor interruptions, uh, some off-topic chatter, and as is the way with podcasters anyway, some tangents. And aside from beeping out some of the language to stay under the explicit tags radar, I'm not going to do too much editing here. Uh, The spontaneity and and lack of preparation as we're all still riding the high of the movie are part of the fun. Plus, it turned out to be a really great conversation. Uh, What you might think would be nothing more than three hours of fanboy geekery turned out to be, I think, a a really good off-the-cuff and from-the-heart dissection of the movie. Admittedly, with a fair amount of fanboy geekery mixed in. Um, Now, I do want to be very clear with one bit of warning. We spoil this movie. Everything. We spoil the beginning. We spoil the middle. We really spoil the ending. If you have not seen the movie and want to remain spoiler-free, you probably want to wait and listen to this until after you see the film, because there are very few stones left unturned. Seriously. But with that warning in mind, on with the show. 
Hello, and welcome to a very impromptu Superman podcast. Uh, we're going to call this an unofficial, or an, F, an official, I guess, Superman Podcast Network Man of Steel review. Uh, my name is Michael Bradley, and joining me are... <laughs> Two people who are obviously way too polite. Uh, I am Michael Bailey. I am the co-host of From Crisis to Crisis and the host of Views from the Long Box and a contributor over uh, over at the Superman homepage as well. And I am John Wilson, one of the co-hosts of the new 52 Adventures of Superman and the uh, guy over at Golden Age Superman. And I dream about contributing to the Superman homepage someday. <laughs> And I host the, the Thrilling Adventures of Superman, which is kind of on an unofficial hiatus right now. Uh, but the three of us, and hopefully other people that will be joining later in the evening, uh, just got out of the Thursday night, quote-unquote, Walmart showing of Man of Steel. And we decided to get together and just offer some impromptu thoughts on the movie. So, uh, Did you all get the, um, get the little intro at the beginning? With uh, Henry Cavill welcoming you to the theater. No. And yes. uh, yeah, there there was this whole intro at the beginning of mine, and apparently John's, where Henry's like, you know, we're really glad that Walmart was able to do this. I hope you all enjoy the film. Then they showed bits from the Walmart video that you would see at Walmart, and you could see it online. And then a guy came in and introduced Zack Snyder, who also welcomed you. Huh. No. It was really a kind of a bit of get on with the damn movie already. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that, too. It's just like, why are you showing me clips of a movie that I am about to see? <laughs> they might have foregone showing that at the theater I went to because they packed us all into what they call uh, Theater 2. And they were trying to get the movie going, and apparently they couldn't get it to work in that theater. So they had to take everybody and move us to Theater 1 and show us there. And they didn't realize this until probably quarter after 7. And the movie was supposed to start at 7. So by the time we got over to Theater 1, and the movie actually didn't start till like 7.30, which didn't please a lot of people. But it, our, uh, our trailer reel was messed up because they showed the trailer for Pacific Rim, which I had never seen a trailer for. And I was like, ooh, it's like every Godzilla movie like had an orgasm all over the movie th- screen. And then they showed the trailer for the second Hobbit film which I've yes. seen online, but that was really cool to see on the big screen. And then they showed the trailer for the second Hobbit film, which was I'd seen online. It was really cool to see on the big screen. And then they showed the trailer for Pacific Rim, and I had never seen a trailer for that before. S- sorry, that was my <laughs> joke. <laughs> they had the, the Hobbit for mine, too, and um, they had Pacific Rim, which I was just like, yeah, oh, that looks bright and pretty. Um I'm not a big Godzilla fan, so that that that, that describes my underwhelming. And there was, there's like another one, but I can uh, for you know, in all honesty, at, you know, right around the end of the the Smallville fight in in Man of Steel, I really started to have to pee, uh, <laughs> and I didn't get up. So that was kind of I, I think that has erased portions of my memory by having to hold it for that long. Yeah. Oh, should we say this is a big old fat spoiler filled review? I was just getting yeah. If you haven't seen the movie and don't want to be spoiled, you might want to tune out now because I have a feeling we're going to be spoiling everything from the beginning living to end. crap out of yeah. this. Film. Yeah, um, I, that's really weird. I didn't see. I don't think they showed us the trailer for Pacific Pacific Rim. We saw the Hobbit trailer, uh, one for a movie called Gravity. And there was one 
for I can't remember the name of it, but it had um, Matt Damon and a bunch of robots. Matt Damon. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um. Anyway, uh, so uh, who wants to start with just some initial reactions? Overall reactions. Yeah, just off the cuff. What was your like when you walked out of the theater? What was your reaction? Um. I might need to check and see if I have enough stamina to see this again in 24 hours because that's the plan right now. <laughs> I enjoyed the movie, but I felt like it went too long. I can see that. I I, I don't, but I'm trying to be polite. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it, it, it's hard for me to say that because Michael Bailey and I are going to be seeing this together tomorrow night, and, I, and I've been really looking It'll forward to this. It'll probably go a lot quicker tomorrow night, though. Probably will. have seen it, so it won't feel like it's going on as long. It'll probably fly by tomorrow night. Which is what Lee Busby said was his experience. He and Jeffrey both felt like the pacing issues didn't feel as bad the second time through. Um, My first, I had two initial reactions, which was, despite some problems with the pacing in the middle of the film, uh, I absolutely loved it, and man, I have to gird myself for the arguments that are going to break out over the in the on the internet yeah. over the next six months because of this film. I think it's going to be more divisive than any of the Nolan Batman films. Mm. Uh, yeah. Just what about you? But, uh, I, I want to call y'all by your last names because y'all have the first same first name. So, That's what fine. about you, Bradley? What was your overall thought? I liked it. I don't, and I, I will readily admit I will. I might disavow anything I say tonight after I've slept on it and seen it a few more <laughs> thousand times. But um, you know, my initial reaction was that I liked it. It was better than I, I liked it more than I thought I would. But I had really been keeping my hopes down because I didn't want to be disappointed. Uh, but that said, I don't think it will replace Superman the movie in my you know, top ten list or whatever. But, you know, I, I grew up with the Christopher Reeve movies. I wasn't old enough to see him in the theater, obviously, but, you know, when I was ten years old and turned on the TV, there was Christopher Reeve, so. Well, and, and you know what, that's, that's something that I was kind of uh, debating with myself when the, when the movie ended, because me and my wife went to see it. Uh, and, or my wife and I, sorry, John. Um... <laughs> And when we were leaving the theater, she goes, that's my favorite Superman film of all time. And, you know, she was not a devotee of the Christopher Reeve films um, like I was growing up. I mean, I was five years old when I saw Superman the movie. I've probably seen that film combined more than any other movie I've seen in the span of my lifetime put together. Uh, which is saying something. At the same time, my reaction was, this is the Superman film for this generation. Right. Mm -hmm. And Rachel and I had this really long talk at dinner before the movie where I was putting forth the theory, and I've been kind of saying this for a while now, but that nothing, like, like, like Mr. Bradley, nothing will replace Christopher Reeve in my head as being my Superman. You can't take that away. There's nothing that can supplant that because when something is such a uh, part of your life and so ingrained into your psyche, 
you can't rip that away. But what I keep thinking is, is there are people 10, 15, 20 years older than us that feel that way about George Reeves. To this day, feel that way about George yeah. Reeves. That yeah, the they, only Superman... There's a website, there's a Facebook page called The Adventures Continue that I'm a part yeah. of. And there's a lot of George Reeves fans on there who watched his show either in first run or in reruns. And that's the Superman they grew up with. And so there's a lot of reaction to it from that point of view. Um, my quibbles with it are not that from the Superman side of it. I think that as a Superman film, this was an excellent portrayal of the character. An excellent mm-hmm. exploration of the mythos, an excellent exploration of the themes of and, and, and new takes on those themes and new approaches to it that haven't been done in a film before. Um, my issues with the film are as a film, not as a Superman movie. I was very happy to see that it wasn't as dour as I kind of expected it to be. I thought they did a pretty good job of balancing, you know, the the weight that Clark would have to deal with at one point they actually call it the weight of the world on your shoulders or something like that uh, with you know trying to keep him bright and optimistic yeah he was he was the bright spot in the movie I remember I don't know if you guys remember this but back when Dark Knight came out and that rumor hit the internet that um, the you know Marvel executives I mean Marvel executives DC executives were so and Warner <laughs> Brothers executives were so happy with the way Dark Knight turned out that all of the films were going to be dark and Mark Wade made the comment that that's wrong headed unless you make Superman the one bright thing in the universe mm-hmm. and kind of getting into some of the 900 pound gorillas that are in this room this was this was a, a different type of superman and the funny thing is is that you can you can say almost that he he went out and did good things out of guilt but the quintessential change and i think it was kind of a necessary change if for nothing else to separate this from other versions of the character having jonathan kent be a figure of caution while still saying all of the important Jonathan Kent things, because all of those words came out of his mouth. You're here for a reason. One day you are going to do something fantastic. But for right now, you've got to calm down. And really what I loved about it, and it's the undercurrent that I'm imagining, so I will accept that, but the argument in the car or the truck before the tornado happened for all seasons, um... <laughs> the, ar- one. the argument that happened in that truck was of a father and son disagreeing on their future birthright and th- that's not meant to be pithy I love the references wait wait, wait till I go off on how it was awesome to see Kalex in the movie Kalex um, <laughs> yeah I was like yeah. Wait, it took me a second, but then I start. I, I, I was the only one in the theater that went, yes! Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but what I got from it was that it was, it was a, it was a different version of Jonathan Kent who was not scared of his son, but scared for his son. Yes. And yes. trying to do the best to be a good father. There, uh, I haven't read the whole book, but I read the first chapter or two of Miracle Monday by Elliot S. Magan. 
And that entire chapter is about a worried Jonathan Kent. Hmm. And I think that is just a valid interpretation as Glenn Ford, you know, walking him up the driveway saying, you're here for a reason. Or I think John Schneider was a perfect primer for this one because he was kind of the balance between the two in Smallville where he he wanted his son to do something better, but he also wanted to protect his son. And because of that, I really liked Jonathan and Martha in this film. Rachel had issues with that scene, but that's because no one warned us that Jonathan Kent had a problem um, getting out of the truck. Oh, oh yeah. Um, which, which was kind of an issue there for a few minutes. Yeah. But the argument I can see right now is going to be, well, he's just doing it because he feels bad, and that's not Superman. And I don't see that at all. I see that as jo- Jonathan told him to stay away. So it's not like Jonathan needed help and he just didn't save him. Jonathan, to his dying breath, held on to his beliefs, and Clark realized he was wrong. And I love that about the film. Or maybe maybe the timing wasn't there yet. Because I, I, they, they have that go directly into a conversation with Lois where he's like, you know, he said, you know, that they wouldn't they would reject me what do you think now do you think the world's ready now and i don't know if i don't know if if you know because that was 1997 that he died so i guess it has been quite a while since then he's really been on the road um being a ghost for a good long while looking for his roots but um, i can see how like a good chunk of his life has passed and now he's like okay so maybe maybe i can do it now as opposed to when i'm just out of high school so if okay spontaneous thought here if the movie is set in 2013 and Jonathan Kent died in 97 that means Clark would have been 17 or 18 when Jonathan died right mm-hmm. okay so just like right around graduation basically hmm. I'm thinking so yeah because he was I, I thought they said he was 17 okay in the in the I could be wrong I could be wrong about that but I but I honestly thought he was uh he was 17 at that point and it was really funny because this is one of those things I, I I'm one of these people that watch trailers and then try to do the puzzle <laughs> yeah of where it fits in the film and I really couldn't figure out where the tornado fit and it hit me like five days ago when I'm sitting there watching the trailer again when, when and there's a shot where Clark turns around and his hair's longer I'm like oh the tornado happens in the past okay and and to see it play out that was like oh okay well that, good, good to know I was right on that and it's really funny that his hair was longer at that point that, that just I always think it's funny in movies when they show somebody in flashback with and the, the to signify they're younger their hair is just a little bit longer than it is right now yeah. so right right i don't think it's anybody's fault that he died she didn't look at clark and said go get your, your father he's being an idiot <laughs> she could have done that no that, that is true <laughs> so but, he was about to go get him. He he did look like he was about to go, and Jonathan's like, "No, you got to stay there, though," because it would have meant revealing blatantly his abilities to the entire crowd that was there. Right? There'd have been no um, 
covering it up as a rumor or one person's imagination like they did with Pete. Um, Manager of the IHOP. Your life really <laughs> didn't turn out the way you wanted it to, did it, Pete? <laughs> well, do y'all want to rewind a little bit and talk about the Krypton stuff at the beginning? Sure. Because there's a lot of mythos altering there. There's there's a whole lot more going on than hit Krypton dying and Jorel and Lara sending off Cal as a Hail Mary pass. Um, there's a yeah. lot more going on there. And there's so much mining of Man of Steel in that entire sequence that it was just I was just shocked. Pleasantly that, though, I would. No, I would very say. pleasantly. No, every reference in this film that I got was like just made me happier as the movie went on that they were referencing it using it but building upon it and doing something different with it um and i'm not so much so sure it's really mythos changing as mythos embellishing i mean if you take the the original core story that that siegel and schuster put out there you know i mean every every origin telling after that has embellished it in some way and then you know you had Man of Steel which embellished it a different way and Birthright which took it a different direction and the movie which took it a different direction you know so no, you're right you're right the, the 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 one thing that you would get from the initial telling that is more of an inference than actually there is that he's in this film he sends Kal-El away, away from the planet well before its destruction he knows it's going to die and he wants to save the baby, but there's a lot more to it than that. It's not yeah. just that he wants to save the baby from Krypton dying. Um, he wants to save him from Zod. He wants to use Kal-El to preserve the Kryptonian race. He, wa- I mean, there's a there's a lot. And actually, that kind of goes back to the idea in the newspaper strips of whenever he's like, I want to build an ark to save all of Krypton. Uh-huh. And, and they and they laugh him down and, and deny him the resources he needs to do that. Um, and so the idea of putting what they call it, the codex, the putting the codex into um, Cal's physical makeup is kind of a similar idea there. Yes, Cal, uh, Cal is the arc yes. at that point. Yeah. So um, I really liked the look of Krypton. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I thought it had the, you know, it was very kind of Star Wars-y in elements, but then when the, the, the flying dragon thing came came up, I was, uh, <laughs> you know you've sucked my wife into a film, by the way, when she got sad when the thing crashed and died. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, was, I was a little upset too, but opening that movie with the birth of Kal-El was, I was just like, Wow, right away you're saying this is going to be different than any other Superman film I've ever seen where I'm seeing little cow pop out of, yeah. of Laura. I mean, we <laughs> never crossed my mind that that would be the first scene in the movie. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, because like, you saw the picture, so you figured it would be there somewhere. And frankly, I am surprised we got as much of Krypton's past in the very beginning of the film like we did. I thought that was going to be spaced out mm-hmm. over the right. course of the film. But I got to tell you, opening it with that, and showing the birth of Kal-El and establishing that Krypton is a not only a dying planet physically, but a dying planet politically so and emotionally. Culturally, yeah. And culturally. And then 
watching Jorel freaking own Zod all <laughs> over that, that that I was just like, holy crap, this is the best Wow, I've never seen Jorel kick that much ass. They, they they took the beginning, the first episode of Superman the animated series, and they said, We we yes. see what you did there and we raise it, sir. Yes. <laughs> yes. I I got a, quite a Superman the animated series opening kind of vibe on a lot of that opening scenes as well. I mean, frankly, Jor- the only reason Jorel died is Zod suckered him. Yeah. Yeah. Because he just, I was just like, holy crap. <laughs> Jorel's kind of awesome here. And continued to be awesome throughout the rest of the film, as a matter of fact. <laughs> I'm just very pleased that for really the first time on in, in live action Superman, we got a fleshed out Kryptonian civilization mm-hmm. with, with its own, you know, uh, creatures and and culture and landscapes. I mean, they did some of that in the Donner movie, but you didn't get anywhere near this in any no. other incarnation. So, it was And you really can even say, that. in a weird way, that there were callbacks to that, because in the original version and the one you would see on television, there was a whole thing with a... In the Donner film, there was a whole thing of a Kryptonian assassin being sent to kill Jor-El. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at that point, I was just like, okay, this is... I mean, it was just... It, it 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 staked its claim right at the beginning that this is our version of Superman, and it really needed to do that. Because really, when you look at Superman in the media, and I'm talking Hello. Lewis and Clark, I'm talking Smallville, I'm talking Superboy, you know, all of those took its cues from Superman the movie. Yes. And... If you had continued along that path, you would never have, have done anything different. And here we got this very regal, this very organic. Rachel, Rachel said it best. It was a very organic society. Yeah, everything, se- even the computers, seemed to be living uh, in their own way. The way the 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 robots, uh, Kelex, uh, in particular, and you could see, you know, like when when they were communicating with each other, and it would come up in that little gray, you know, that little gray stuff. I was just like, there is so much going on here that is not only a feast for the eyes and that's the thing that the reviewers have been saying about this film is that it was light on story I think this had more story than Superman the movie had in its entire two and a half hours really I agree oh. Jeffrey just joined us hey, yes. yes joining us is Jeffrey Taylor of from Crisis, Michael's co-host on From Crisis to Crisis welcome Jeffrey hello welcome, uh, welcome to me yes of course okay I'm speaking very very well <laughs> I'm not exhausted in any way whatsoever. From no, trip, so. it's not like you've been why anywhere in the last few days. So I would have to say, why would you be exhausted, Mister? I've seen the film twice already. <laughs> oh, so, uh, somebody who who is already you know not liking it and and putting up the you know World Rotten Tomatoes has this rating on it and yada yada yada. Who cares about and, that? And 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 I was like, well, I gave it a ten out of ten, and and she said, well, you know, you got to see it twice for free. I'm like, excuse me, I spent hundreds of dollars like, yeah, I was <laughs> to get to L.A., to get to New York, and uh, be, be able to, you know, a lot of planning. I stayed with friends along the way rather than having to get hotels or anything like that, and I put a lot of effort into that. And th- and, and even then, it's like, oh, yeah, but that's only at the box, you know, it only counts if it's at the box office. And I'm like, you know what, I'm paying my 650 for tomorrow, so there we go. 650. 
Yep, six, six fifty. Uh, now, Jeffrey, we are recording this as a. It's kind of an impromptu Superman Podcast Network review for sure. people who may not have followed what you did. Why don't you give us the the ten cent tour of your column and you know how um, it led to the premiere and all that. Okay, well, I uh, write for Movies.com, which is a job that I got because I write for the Superman homepage. And I was on the set back in 2011 for a day and, and interviewed the um, David, David Goyer, the writer, Zack Snyder, the director, and uh, Henry Cavill as, as Superman. And he was between shot setups at the time, so he was wearing the suit. And immediately afterwards, he went outside and filmed this one moment where the the big guy is standing over him and tries to fly. He tries to fly out from under from between his legs, and the guy grabs his leg and slams him back to the ground. I watched that being filmed like six or seven times. <clears throat> I also saw awesome. the animatic of, of of that, so I I had an idea of of what the scene was going to look like. But anyway, cool. uh, from from there, I went to a screening. Uh, Two years later, uh, this was just a, a couple of weeks ago. It was May 30th. I went to a screening in L.A., uh, followed by a press junket the next day, which had Henry Cavill, Zack Snyder, um, Diane Lane, Russell Crowe, Michael Shannon, um, Amy Adams, and uh, uh, among others, David Goyer and Hans Zimmer were there, Chuck Rovin and Deb Snyder, and uh, Antia Trawa which is apparently how you pronounce the name. I got to interview her and had a great time. She, she seemed to really like me. She, she told the Warner Brothers people to go away when they were coming up to say, hey, your time's up. It, was up. it was over a couple minutes ago. And then when I asked if I could take a photo, she like demanded that we take the time to take a photo. Like She was so nice. And then I went to the premiere in New York where I got to meet up with Steve Eunice of the Superman homepage and his sister Carol. And I also invited uh, Scotty V from the Superman homepage. So we were all there representing the Superman homepage. And we were in the, the gallery, the, the balcony, but we were front row center of the balcony. And so we could look down and see all of the stars. And uh, af- afterwards, we went to the after party where I did get to speak briefly to Henry Cavill. I was very patient, and I found that the way to do it was to make friends with his bodyguard. Because all these people were coming up, taking photos with him. I felt weird kind of like trying to push my way into it. And I really wanted to get a group photo with, with, with me, Steve, Carroll, and, and Scott. And so that did work out. And it turns out that for his online research, Henry Cavill exclusively looked at the Superman homepage. How awesome that, that is that? That's his place. It's, it's the one place on the internet you need to go for Superman information. So Pretty much, yeah. Um, uh, not to uh, disparage Neil Cole, who was also there with us as well. Uh, but yeah, it's been a really amazing ride. There are other stories to tell along the way, but um, I'll, I'll, I'll leave some of that. However, in front of Steve Eunice and, and Scott, Antia Trawa came up, recognized me from behind, grabbed my hand and said, great to see you again, before she had to be rushed away to... Uh, where all the other stars were being rushed away to. I'm jealous of that moment right there. Yeah, I'm, I'm jealous of myself for that moment. I'm jealous of past me. Uh, so <laughs> when, when you joined, Jeffrey, we were talking about the, uh, the beginning of the movie, the Krypton stuff, and how it embellished or added to or, or changed the, the established mythos. Uh, if I can interrupt you, uh, Bradley, uh, Jeffrey, before we started delving into the film specifics, we all kind of gave our overall opinion of the film. If you were to do a... a a brief paragraph on your overall opinion of the film. What would you? How would you describe it? Well, first off, I gave it a ten out of ten. 
which is something that I don't normally do. There were some people who looked at that and said, well, you're saying that because you're a Superman fan. And I said, actually, I'm hypercritical of it because I'm a Superman fan. And I can't find any legitimate fault. Yeah, there are a couple of things that maybe aren't quite right. Like, I don't understand why Zod... Or, or the other Kryptonians would want Lois on the ship. That just didn't make any sense to me why they would want her or need her. I get why she had to be there for the story, but, you know, l little things like that. But that's not even, like, a legitimate complaint. And uh, the the thing for me... Well, I think it's a, I think it's a legitimate complaint. I mean, it's, well, it's, it's yeah, not a it's movie-wrecking It's just not, like, a but... big problem. It's not something right. that really lowers the rating in, in my opinion but I really really enjoyed the film I can't wait to see it again tomorrow it'll be my third time and I, I have to say that when I saw it that first time I really I was like gonna poop my pants because I wanted to tell Michael Bailey about Kelex I mean, I wanted to, to just, like, tell him little detail things, but I'm like, no, be good, don't mention anything, just tell him that I thought it was good, and leave it at that, and we'll talk about it later, and just, you know, hold in that poop, and, man, <laughs> it was it was really, really difficult, so this is a great chance for me to finally talk to Michael Daly about that. I even considered, uh, in that moment, why they why they called him Kelex instead of Kelex, which is what I, I always called it and what I've seen it called in uh, some of the some of the other like uh, some some animation I think that it's because your average movie go moviegoer who barely even knows who Kal-El is might confuse like Kal-El and Kelex and wondering why is he calling the robot this thing so they just slightly altered the pronunciation of the name to make it a little bit more different I actually knew about Kelex because um, we got some of the children's uh uh -huh. Novels is really too generous a word. Oh. The, ch the, the children's literature they published. Um, yeah. One of them um, describes the fight in Smallville extremely briefly compared to what it actually was. And one of them describes the Krypton stuff and how um, Jor-El and Lara sent Captain Kal-El off. But you see Kelex in there. It mentions that he's a faithful robot servant or something like that. Yeah, yeah uh, I was kind of... I had mentioned before you got on, Jeffrey, that I was very excited about it, uh, and I was the only one in the theater that yelled out yes uh, <laughs> when he said the name. But it was just funny because before he said the name and I saw the little thing buzzing around him, I'm like, are they going to do it? Are they going to do it? Ah, boy. <laughs> there are so many references to various patterns <sighs> of Superman, and I, I knew that there, that there would be. I did not know what all of them would be or anything, but I – that's actually one of the reasons why I'm seeing it a third time. I took 20 pages of notes in the first time doing it. And, of course, I'm in the dark and I'm wearing 3D glasses because I did see it in 3D the first time. And uh, I, I don't really plan to, again, to be honest with you, unless I go and see it in IMAX, which I'm not 100% positive that I'm going to do because the nearest theater is three hours away. But um, – so I, I took all, all these notes. I noticed even more stuff the second time, like the fact that one of Krypton's moons was was partly blown up. Oh, yeah. I saw that in the trailer. Yeah. And that's, oh, okay. uh, that, that's, a, that's a total Silver Age yes, thing. Yes, very much That's so. why Jack Zor was sent to the Phantom Zone. Yep. And uh, so oh. there are all, all those kinds of references. The fact that there are not, th not two, not three, not four, but five actors who were in Smallville. Yeah. 
Professor Hamilton was on screen with Professor Hamilton. I, I, I was like, that's kind of awkward, and I don't know whether to be awkward or cool about this. And and on, on the second viewing, I recognized I had just rewatched the first two seasons of Smallville. I'm sort of on season three right now, and I recognized the guy. He, he's the one who said that they're calling him Superman. He was in the third episode of Smallville. He was the guy who got his arm burned by the dad from Wonder Years. And then, like, okay. trying to hide behind fire extinguishers. Do, do, do you remember what I'm talking about? Yes. Yes. So I I completely had not noticed him the first time that I saw it, but the second time, I'm like, there's another one. Cause, so there's him, there's Amy Adams, there's... Uh, I the Kryptonian who was experimenting on... Yes. Um, Superman was, was the evil Lex Luthor clone yes, in the later uh, seasons. And, and he was yeah, speculated he was in, in the rumors as being Lex Luthor. 10. Um, somebody who was in like the the second to last episode of one of the later seasons um, was an ex boyfriend of Lois who from the army or something. He he was in it, and I, I at the moment I can't even think of what he was. Obviously, there's Amy Adams. I mean, you can't really skip that. And did we get all of them? I think I, th- I think you got all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. more than the so, ones I knew. There was another cameo. Yes, the the. Aaron uh, Smolinski. Smolinski, yep. Yes. Who played Who the, he? the he played Baby Superman in Superman the movie. Okay. And he was a random guy in the army. He, yeah, he, and he, he was in had a line that was cut. He Sorry? was in Superman three too. He was That's the right. kid that that Superman gives the um, the photo booth the photo to in mm-hmm. uh, the very in the in the slapstick comedy opening that I think every Superman film needs. <laughs> um. In all honesty, no. When I saw, I, I skipping ahead just a slight bit. When I saw Professor Hamilton sitting next to Professor Hamilton, <laughs> I nearly exploded in my seat because I I'm like, there is too much geek going on the screen right now. I can't adequately process what's going on in my head because in watching the later seasons of Smallville. That dude's performance, who I will always screw up his name, so I'm not even going to try to say it, of Professor Hamilton was one of my favorite things about the entire show. I absolutely loved him in the role. And to see him next to the dude who I thought made an equally good Professor Hamilton, especially right there at the end, um, I I, I couldn't contain myself. But he was also in Watchmen, so that's that's a double Smallville Zack Snyder thing. Which guy was in in Watchmen? The guy that played Professor Hamilton on oh, Smallville. Okay. Oh, he was Smallville uh, or in the movie? Uh, in the Smallville. movie, he was the lab tech guy oh, okay. that was standing that was okay. sitting next to Professor Hamilton, just to confuse you even more. Right. Who was he in Watchmen? I forget. He was one of the random. He was the the dude that ran in and said he's on the he's on Mars. Uh, when okay. they finally tracked where Doctor Manhattan went. Oh, I don't remember that. Okay, I'll have to go look at that. So where do you think all of this Superman knowledge came from? Do you think it came from Goyer, from Nolan? Do you think he had a committee? It did not come from Nolan. It came primarily from from Goyer, and they did have one other guy. I remember I I could find where I had it in the interviews, but it would take me a while to find it. They did have another guy who who they would ask for, like, Superman reference stuff. He was the one who, even though they didn't use it, the elementary school that Clark went to was Weisinger Elementary School. Yeah. 
and nice. uh, they and they didn't show it either. But in in the Smallville scenes, I, I think just a couple of doors down from the bank that he goes into the that, that he gets slammed into the vault of, there is um, Ezra's mail depot. Oh, nice. <laughs> the oh, Weisinger thing you can see that in the when Martha's going through the remnants of the house and she pulls out the photo album. Oh, okay, and she excellent. flips to a okay. photo of Kevin Costner and young Clark. And on the back, there's a sign that says something about Wisner School Science Fair or, or something like that. Gotcha. I did get I'll be getting Costner's hand. I'll be getting the uh, the novelization when it hits on Sunday or whatever on Kindles. And I'm curious to see if a lot of the stuff made the made the uh, the print version. Be interesting yeah, to see no, what I, they add too. I yeah. I really am looking forward to the novelization as well. I'm definitely going to have to get one. I do have. I just. Uh, read today an excerpt from it because Warner Brothers sent me this 14 gig flash drive that's in the shape of a key uh, nice <laughs> and and it's got all this promotional material on it which only takes up half a gig so I'm just going to use it because I don't have a 14 gig flash drive I have a 4 gig but what's funny though is that I, I don't know why they sent me two of them in two separate packages so but I, I'm really sorry guys my wife already claimed the other one <laughs> I hate you anyways <laughs> hey I gave I gave you a soundtrack yes you did you absolutely did and I and do have I, to say and I, I did give you an offer which I completely understand and respect you for turning down you're cute, but we just don't have that type of relationship. Do you guys know what, what that was? No. I do. And I'm sad. Eh, it's okay. I, I I did invite Michael to come to the premiere with me, and he was not able to come. And oh, okay. I because did he loves bring... his wife more than Superman. Which yes, we I do all. love my. I absolutely love my wife yes. more than Superman. We should, we should all be proud of him for that. <laughs> I am so. really glad that I got to bring Scotty V. I'm glad that I got to meet him, and I'm in no way regretting that that decision. He was the second person that, that I asked, but um, I I really did wish having wish that I had uh, could have had Michael there and shared that experience with him, especially with the after party and everything. Well, uh- let me tell you something. Uh, last weekend sucked uh, <laughs> with uh, with everyone at the Superman celebration and the premiere happening yeah. the day after. <laughs> I was just like, I hate Facebook. <laughs> I did miss the Superman celebration, but um, but I was doing too much other stuff anyway. You were still celebrating Superman. Yes, in in my own special way. Did you bring me the? Um, uh, so getting back to the movie and I think we kind of covered all the Krypton stuff. I am curious what the reaction you guys had was to uh, Jor-El's death because that is a mythos changing element. It was surprising. Yeah. Yeah, he was, he was going to die either way. Yeah, right. That's so, exactly what I was going to think. He died two drama beats early. <laughs> right. And, and the fact that we got him as a program throughout the rest of the film used to beautiful effect, by the way, in oh, uh, wow. the scene on the ship where I was just like, uh, Rachel and I just kept looking at each other going, this is awesome. Um, <laughs> and uh, no, I really see Russell Crowe, despite his disparaging remarks he made in interviews um, around especially to Entertainment Tonight, where he was very unflattering to Superman the movie. Did he throw a phone uh, at anyone? 
No, he did not okay. throw a phone at me. Nor did he challenge anyone to a fight. So I was, I was kind of disappointed in that. Yeah. Uh, but wow. to um, to see him portray, you know, Jarrell is not only a man of science, but a man of action and a man of principle. This is, again, what I don't get while people saying this didn't have a story or a heart or a soul to it. Yeah. Oh, because you've, apparently you've, heard, you've been talking with me then. <laughs> Folks, we have another voice on the call now. Hello, uh, I'm happy to introduce J. David Weeder, host of Superman Forever Radio and John's co-host over on the New 52 Adventures of Superman. Welcome. We were a very yes. David. Group. Yeah, I'm very, very underwhelmed. So, Well, you can just poop on our party then. No, I'm just kidding. We, we welcome your... Your opinion. I, I've been processed. I didn't mean to interrupt you, Mike. I'm gonna let you finish, but uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm not gonna go Kanye I'm on you. Christopher Reeve is the best Superman there is. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. I cried at several points in this film, especially in the Smallville scenes. I cried. Uh, at the end. I, I teared up when Martha was talking to Clark through the door. Uh, I still tear up when Kevin Costner says, "You are my son." Uh, just because that's such an emotional scene. I mean, it was just uh, I I got, and again, it's 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 a first reaction. And like Michael Bradley, I do reserve the right to to change that reaction upon subsequent viewings. But my, you know, just with with the way it was portrayed on Krypton is that you had a Jor-El that knew that his society was dying in more ways than one, and to preserve that society and even make it better, he broke protocol had actual sex with his wife which I'm glad they didn't film that because <laughs> at the beginning was enough um, and and to bring a, a child to the world and, and the moment you saw him seal that skull uh, and I love the fact that the codex was a skull that they were basically getting genetic material from um, uh, just just seeing that and having them put it into Superman, it was just like, so not only are we making him special because he's one of the last of his kind, but he is also, as, as we were talking before, the arc of his people, if he so chooses to. So it's, it, it, I, I absolutely loved the Krypton sequences. David, we all went around and, and kind of gave our initial gut reaction to the movie, you know, I guess as we were walking out of the theater. So Go ahead and share your thoughts on it. Yeah, um, and I've been processing this. I mean, I literally just came in the door from the theater, so I've only been home for a brief bit because mm-hmm. I'm in I'm in a different time zone. But uh, I felt like it was just a sequence of scenes. They were out of whack a little bit. You never got a cohesive look at some of the character relationships, like Martha, like Jonathan. Uh, it was just scene, move on, scene, move on, and it felt very empty i never and i mean some of the high points were cavill henry cavill was fantastic he outacted uh russell crowe kevin costner an actor i've never cared a bit about i've never seen him act a day in his life until this movie and like michael yeah there were tears they had tears especially in the tornado sequence mm-hmm. um that last shot was just uh, it was a killer but I think ultimately I did almost walk out at the climax when, you know, Superman broke General Sod's neck. Mm. Yeah, and well, I think I what's, love that what's, moment so much. Yeah. We what's haven't tackled that moment yet as far okay, as, I'm as, sorry, as, far I'm as Oh, no, that's fine. No, that's fine. But we're going to discuss that a little later because I, I think 
I think Michael Bailey uh, is correct. It, it's going to be a hot topic of conversation across the, the interwebs for many, many weeks to come. Just well, I, I grew ago. to accept it. You know, it's yeah. okay. He had no choice, but he, there was no repercussion. So that was my big issue. Okay, so you want repercussions at the end of a uh, end of a two and a half hour film? I want at least a hint of a repercussion. Well, didn't the scream do something for that? The fact that he screamed in horror at what he just had to do didn't that was was he screaming? Was he screaming because he had to kill somebody, or was he screaming because he basically eliminated his race? I think it was both. All of the above. I mean, he had to process that in that amount of time, and so he screamed in the same and way then that the, it, the very next scene is him, you know, showing up it's like, oh, here's your drone plane. I'm here to help and, and being very stoic. And I love that scene, but it was just a jarring transition. I'll, uh, I'll, I, I'll get to my, I, my I, I, I will agree with <laughs> David on this point, actually. I, I don't think yeah. I've thought about it for for a while, and I really love that moment. I I love the the scene after it. I don't think that one necessarily has to affect another because by then the climax is over. It's all falling action. It's all the the denouement, and you're just setting up for here's what the future is for this character, it, what, regardless of whether or not there's going to be a sequel, which there there will be. There yeah, has to. I I do think I that, that I I do agree with Dave's point that there's a lot of there are a lot of moments that could have gone deeper and there are a lot of themes that could have been explored further. And if we had sacrificed some of the incessant battle action for some of that, I think the film would have been better for it. So you're saying one of the major complaints I've seen, not necessarily from you, but from the world at large about Superman Returns is that Superman didn't punch anything. So now we get to this and now there's too much action? Is that... (laughs) (laughs) Kind of, yeah. Okay. Yeah, a bit. And it's not... Because I love that he tore shit up. I love that Smallville was just demolished as a result of their battle as it should have been. And Metropolis looked like a post-apocalyptic horror. Yeah. As it should have been. Guess who's going to get the contract for rebuilding? Lex Luthor. Maxwell Lord. Um, (laughs) Right. That would would be even better. You know, it's funny because I totally see what John and Dave are saying. But, and and maybe it's just how I saw the film. I'm a very emotional viewer. And I tend to fill in blanks when I see them. So it could be that you're absolutely right. It was, you know, the scenes were jarring. But in my head, I was processing what was going on. It's kind of like what you do when you read a comic. When you see three panels of a guy, panel one is a guy holding his fist back, panel two is a guy throwing it, and panel three is the impact. On a subconscious level, your mind is filling in that blank. Uh, Thank you, Scott McCloud, for writing that book. Um and for me it was like i was talking about before with jonathan when jonathan and clark were having their argument i saw more than we were given on the screen and because i'm so familiar with this story and with what they were referencing and what they were doing with the film i guess in my head i could have been filling in the blanks for the 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 filmmakers and that just was my reaction to it 
Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that, and especially from from my point of view, when I knew what a lot of the themes were going to be for a long time, and I'd been thinking about them for so long, so to see them play out, I wasn't disappointed that some of them were played a little bit shorter than they than they probably could have been. But on the other hand, I recognized that the original cut of this movie was three hours, and I wonder if maybe they were explored a little bit more. Maybe there was something more to I it. I want to see a three-hour version. I of this. want to see the three-hour <laughs> release. I, I want to buy this one on Blu-ray. I actually don't even want them to put out the three-hour release until at least six months after or maybe even before the sequel comes out, just so that I can really digest and completely immerse myself in this version, because I am going to see it again at least a couple more times in theaters. But If the uh, bulk of that extra footage comes before Superman turns himself over to Zod, I'll be a happy camper. Yes. Okay. Agreed. Yeah. I, he, I would imagine that, that 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 is a lot of it. But, but as now, far as... Yeah, go on. I'm sorry. Having said all of that, my biggest problem with this film is the fact that the middle part of it had some very serious pacing issues in terms of how they got from point A to point B was a little faster than maybe it should have gone down. Put your bounds on the middle part. What do you mean? Uh, After the whole Krypton scene and after we really get through... Basically, once we get to him in the ship, and then anything after that, for like the next, you know, the second act, basically, you know, him getting the ship, him being introduced to Zod, it all just kind of happened, and bam, 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 and that threw me off a little bit as a viewer. I thought of the end of Act Two. I thought of the end of Act Two as being the moment after the Smallville battle when they accept. That when they accept Superman for the first time, this man is not our enemy. That was. A Can great I say scene. that I actually really freaking cheered at that point? Like, yes, <laughs> literally, literally cheered. And as far as um, like a tertiary character's story, which has to be done very quickly, um, the the story that Chris Maloney's character has as um, Colonel Hardy, I believe his name is, I love it. I mean, it's very mm-hmm. quick. It's it's um, it's subtle in a lot of ways, but she ha- he has this sort of a relationship with with Feora. A it's 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 really kind of beautiful because. Um, she is a killer. That's that's what she was born to do. What he was in a lot of ways born born to do was to defend, and that's that's his thing. And yes, we we get introduced to him, and he's a dick. And Lo- Lois has that thing about about measuring dicks, and so it's like, ah, do we like this guy? Do we not like this guy? And then by the end, I mean, I really loved that that character, and he he had that that moment because they are alike in so many ways. One thing that I did ask um, that that I I think would make an interesting discussion point. I asked Auntie Trawa about that line that she has about morality, like you know we will win because we don't have a, a morality. It, like, do, does she think that that's actually true? And her her answer was that she's she's unsure. Um, she thinks that for Feora, that it's not even necessarily true. Yeah, um, I think it might go back to the fact that they were genetically engineered and bred and born to be soldiers, mm-hmm. and so that is not just what they have spent 20 years doing as a choice of career, but it's what they were doing from the womb. 
And so I do think that their moral compass has a different anchor than, than say, Cal's or someone else who, who was not that way. I wouldn't say that they're moral, morality-less. As in, I would say they don't have a morality. I would just think that like their priorities are so far removed from what Cal's are that they don't have the same concerns that he has. I definitely agree with that, especially because of the fact that they are born and bred to to be this person. And then on the other hand, you have Superman who, for one thing, you could argue that genetically, well, he's going to be kind of – he's going to have something from Jor-El. He's going to have something from Lara as well and they, they both seem to be very moral. But also because of that codex thing, I, I prefer to think of it as that it's all the greatness of Krypton but then raised by Jonathan and Martha Kent. Is it wrong that when he they crash into the IHOP, my first thought was, I want to hear some guy, I was just here for my Rudy Tootie Fresh and Fruity! Because <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have enough you. product placement in the film. <laughs> yeah, Rachel, Rachel said something about that, and, 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 and my reaction was, you know, the, they were very upfront that they wanted it to be in the real world, but yes. hot damn, if, if, if this is going to pay for the film and what we saw on screen... I don't care about seeing an IHOP. I don't care about yeah. seeing a 7-Eleven. Hell, 7-Eleven is so tied with me and Superman that not seeing it in any other film has been a great disappointment. 7-Eleven didn't pay them for that. And other films not, have been... IHOP. That other films not, have been far that worse. Paid, that was not paid product placement. I mean, it's not like Red Zone in Smallville. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, where, where it was just like, hey, Clark, you want some of this Red Zone? <laughs> <laughs> right, but 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 you're calling it product placement, and it's not something that they paid the movie for. They just wanted to use locations that people would be that like, exactly what Michael said that it would be real world stuff. They were not paid for. There were plenty of promotions that were paid for outside the film, I, I but I don't know of any planning. actual product placement in the film that was except paid for. for Sears. <laughs> I don't know. With the promotion that Sears has been doing, I've got to say that front end, back end, there is some some dealage going on there. There, there might be something with Sears. I'm not, I'm not exactly the positive. free comic I, that they were giving out. I do know about the that that Seven Eleven did not pay. They, they didn't ask to be paid for it. They didn't pay for it. They just wanted it to be a Seven Eleven because they thought that it would be good. Um, to, to make it more real world. And in fact, half the side of that street was built specifically. Um, it's it's funny. There used to be another side of that street in Plano, Illinois, but there was a huge train derailment a few years ago. And it took out basically the other half of the street. And so it was just there blank for the filmmakers to come on and just build what, whatever they want to build. And so, for instance, they built that 7-Eleven and the... Um, the, the bank with the bank vault and the Ezra's mail depot and, and the entire uh, police building that was there. Can I, um, can I return us to a more structured conversation as far as like going through the film? Because I feel like we're kind of bouncing around a bit and everything, everyone's saying good that's, stuff, but that's fine. I, sure. I, we could just kind of like <laughs> speak randomly all night. Yeah. Um, I, just one more point on the, the product placement issue and then we'll go on. I promise. The, the the maybe not the most blatant but the one place I noticed it most was when Lois was climbing up the cliff or whatever it was and she pops her hand over the edge sets the camera down and the focal point of the frame is the word Nikon on the camera <laughs> there's got to be something hinky going on there as far it as it did jump uh, out at me too yeah. so but okay 
like I said, other, yeah. other uh, films and TV shows have been far worse about the product placement. So. Well, Superman oh, two one, was one far last thing worse. About, so. yeah. yeah, one 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 more last thing about the product placement. <laughs> um, that that satellite that blows up in during the the final battle with Zod, Wayne Tech. Yep. Was it? I did not catch that. I saw Luther Corp it's on a tanker. Quick. Yeah, it's but. it's it's on the tanker. It's also on a building mm-hmm. when um the, when the satellite comes down. Um that that was I I noticed that in the trailer or somebody else noticed that and then I had to find it. Mm-hmm. So so there it was. These and, kinds uh, of things are, are things I'm just not good at catching on the first viewing, which is why I have to see it multiple times before I, you know, can actually make a fair assessment of it. But when you get the Blu-ray, you can watch the entire movie in slow motion. I don't have a Blu-ray player. <laughs> or the DVD. Thank I don't you. Know. I'm not one does not have a Blu-ray player. Yes. I, like I have a PlayStation 3. I don't even have a TV that like it makes a difference on. <laughs> Black and white. TV. It's a tw- it's a 20-year-old TV. We had does it um, have rabbit had... ears. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay, John. Okay, what, what you were going to steer us back on point. Well, I was going to talk about the the non-linearity of of, of his develop, growing up and everything, but I did want to ask Dave because we had kind of drawn the Krypton discussion to a close right when he got here. Mm. But um, any thoughts on the myth- mythos or events on Krypton, Dave, as as a as a Superman fan or whatever, or, oh, or a film critic? Part I was on board with that part because it reminded me so much of Superman the animated series with Jor-el being. Thank you. Yeah, but a little bit of the action hero. So that part. Completely, oh great! I was on board, and I thought, uh, you know, Lara having to face this at the end alone really got to me. That really moved me. So, <laughs> I really like that they were able to pay homage to past incarnations without blatantly paying homage to past incarnations. Birthing matrixes. Yeah, <laughs> but it wasn't so overt that it became, you know, non-subtle. You know, I mean. I, I like the appearance of Kirk Allen and Noel Neal in Superman the movie as Lois's parents, but it's not exactly subtle, you know, when they show up. So it's it's slightly more in the extended version. Mm-hmm. When when she actually says like I just saw a boy or or, or whatever yeah. it was, and then Noel Neal says, "Oh, Lois, you have the weirdest imagination. Yeah. I can't." Uh, Writers I, give for a bad I, I have the whole movie memorized, but the extended version <laughs> I don't have completely memorized. One here one more you, thing about, we about you were Krypton. A fan. Did you guys read the prequel comic? Yes, I did. I, did I talked not. to yep. Jerry Ordway about that. Really? Uh, yes, because um, I, I I got a quote from him. I, I I wanted to know what like the names of some of the beasts were for an article that's going to be up on movies. dot com tomorrow, and uh, so so like that big that please huge say elephant. flame beast. Please say flame beast. No, one is called a Rondor beast, and those yes, flying yes. things, those flying <laughs> things are called um, Hakara. H apostrophe. Oh, Haraka. Sorry, Haraka. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, but the thing is, he didn't know what they were supposed to look like. They DC like wouldn't send him a reference. I think you can just Google Rondor and. Right, but for how they're going to look in the movie. Well, oh yeah, right. And so um, he he didn't know what they were supposed to look like, so he just kind of did it. And um, well, he kept asking DC to uh, you know get a hold of Jeff Johns to so that he could ask him some questions just for doing the art. And I guess Jeff Johns got pissed at him. And at the end, DC 
told Jerry Ordway to not try to contact Jeff Johns again. Awkward. Yeah, a little bit. Hmm. I can understand the need for secrecy and, and keeping things under their hat, but you would think but, that he's drawing a, a, as close to a, a prequel comic, an official prequel comic as we got. You know, you think they could give him some references you know, or something? But it's kind of funny because. As far as promotion from this on the part of DC, for the last couple of years, we've had to put up with some very intrusive uh, ad, dis, uh, you know, ad uh, copy. Like when Green Lantern came out, like a good chunk of the top of the covers were Green Lantern coming to theaters. Yeah. And then there was like four issues of Green Lantern prequel books. <laughs> and then Dark Knight came out last year and we got the same thing with all the, the Man of Steel stuff. It's it's small, like on the cover. And on one hand, I'm like, really? So we get to Superman and you're going to go small? But on the other hand, I'm like, I'm really glad this isn't taking up more of the cover than it is because that's really annoying. Yeah. I was surprised we didn't get a comic book adaptation. I mean, they yeah, didn't do it for the Batman they, movies, but yeah, I can... didn't do any for the Batman either. Yeah, or, but or that's Green kind Lantern. of a different... This this felt more like a comic book story. I'll agree with did. that. This did feel like a comic book reimagining of the origin. Mm-hmm. Just put on film. Right. Except Lois would be smarter than to yell out Clark in front of the cops. <sighs> Yeah. She didn't have anything else to call him. Yeah, what I thought she'd just say, "Hey, you." <laughs> yeah. Um, it, but Although, at, at if that you're, point, you're... hadn't she met Yorel and been told that his name is Kal El? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, I guess she had that. In her defense, if she's hanging out at the Kent farm, Smallville's not that big. Chances are, the local authorities are going to know who Martha Kent is anyway. So, as much as we didn't get a whole lot of Diane Lane what little we did get of her as Martha Kent was fantastic mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean that when she's talking to Zod and Zod is like you're gonna tell me yada 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 and she's like fuck you <laughs> sorry you're gonna have to bleep that out but you said um, Jack Snyder wanted to get that word in he wanted her to say it yeah I, I was hoping for it at that point and then the whole thing with oh, I like your suit when she's just exhausted and kind of cleaning up, I was in that that Kent house when the the truck was already in it, <laughs> and so I mean the place was full of dust. There was crap all over the place. Man, I remember now. There was a photo album on the table, but we weren't allowed to touch anything, so I couldn't open it. Yeah. Ah. Oh. oh well, I got to touch the ship. I don't think I was supposed to. <laughs> kind of spinning off something you just said, David. This is purely a personal preference, but I thought the language was a bit much. I could have done with some scaling it back just a little bit. I mean, it wasn't too over the top, but well, well, that 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 actually brings us nicely into the Smallville scenes, which yeah. uh, which I rather liked all of them. Seeing Pete Ross as kind of a heavy set kid, you know, who's a bully and then becomes Clark's friend, and then and works at an IHOP, uh, works at an IHOP. And then seeing like the guys picking on him later, uh, which he, he we we learned that he learned how to deal with such things uh, in rather constructive ways. Um, though nothing really to me was funnier than that dude shoving him and him just not moving at all. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> just. <laughs> um, but um, but just everything in Smallville just resonated with me because 
one of the big criticisms and i and, and, and i and i don't think i'm i'm off in this is that when that first trailer hit and jonathan kent says the word maybe after clark says you know you know what was i supposed to do let those people die you know everyone's just like my jonathan kent wouldn't have said that my jonathan kent would have said that and you're absolutely right your jonathan kent never said that this is a new jonathan kent and as we discussed before Dave and Jeff got on the call, this is a Jonathan Kent who's coming at it from a more hyper-realized version of the John Schneider Jonathan Kent, who his main concern isn't raising a hero. It's keeping this son that he loves more than life itself safe from a world that is probably going to hate him. Mm-hmm. Right. So saying maybe, that actually got a laugh in my theater. Oh, wow. It was really funny. He goes, maybe. And everyone starts laughing. I'm like, was that a comedy beat? Because I don't think that was a comedy beat, y'all. No, I didn't either. (laughs) But, I mean, this is also a Jonathan Kent who chooses to die instead of having his his son son, reveal himself. And so when he says maybe, that's not him saying yes. Yes, you should. Duh. He's saying maybe because he's conflicted about it. How dumb was he? Exactly. <laughs> he's conflicted about it. He's not saying, like, yes, you should have let let them die. I mean, he takes that beat. It's That beat isn't in, in the trailer in quite the same way. Um, it, it, at least I don't think so. So he no, there, 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 there's more to think about it. Yeah? Yeah, there's more to the conversation, the film. It, it's It's more of a maybe because there's a whole lot of variables to weigh there's a whole lot going on right. and and i just don't have the answer and you don't either because you're eight yeah and, or however old he is and dave l- let me ask you this because i know you've recently re- reread miracle monday yeah. didn't that give you like that first chapter vibe of miracle monday where jonathan was all worried about clark and what yes that's a good call it did uh, a little less morbid but yes it yeah. certainly did <laughs> So I mean, trying to kill each other with shovels. So, (laughs) but no, it's just uh, Smallville. Yeah, there is a lot in this movie, uh, especially in the Smallville sequences, where holding on to a secret identity is going to be very difficult. On the other hand, since it is a movie universe and not a television series or a, a monthly comic, I can accept those types of things because we're we don't have to think about that you know it's not something that that they have to deal with because when you when you have a two and a half hour i guess there's a three hour cut out there somewhere but when you have a two hour two and a half hour movie about superman you really want to see superman a lot in there yeah yeah and the biggest what was our i'm saying r so please do not think that I'm trying to speak for you but what was the biggest criticism that a bunch of us had with Superman Returns was that Superman wasn't doing enough Superman stuff you had Superman doing Superman stuff almost from word go in this film yeah and, and while we were talking about that it just occurred to me that um, Pete Ross knows Clark's secret and he should keep it and that would be awesome and, 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 I, and, and that's exactly going. the way it was in the comics and I hadn't really put that together until 30 seconds ago wow that's well done yeah 
I hadn't even thought about that. That's awesome. No, that, that, that was my thought was when, when, when he saves Pete and Pete kind of looks at him and Lana, it's like Peta, Pete Ross and Lana Lang as teenagers were the only ones that knew that Clark Kent had superpowers. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, you ungrateful wench, your son could have died and you're sitting there <laughs> complaining about it in the Kent house. I didn't yeah, think that, that she was complaining. a lot of sense. She sounded like... Like, you need to tell me what's going on. Well, you know, I, I think maybe he was just, you know, maybe seeing stuff that wasn't there. No, you really need to tell me what's going on. I'm just like, would you, would you let it go? Because you, you're I can't so explain it, so it was God. <laughs> That's what happens. I'll get to the most unsubtle image in the entire film. Yes, oh, with the <laughs> With what? The most unsubtle image in the entire film. Clark in the church. Yes. Talks about uh. sacrifice. Oh. With the big stained glass window behind him. I'm like, you guys aren't even trying to bury the lead here, are you? It, it was his Garden of Gethsemane moment with the Garden of Gethsemane <laughs> right over his shoulder. <laughs> it kind of made me think of Superman 204. <sighs> yes, but in five minutes instead of six which yeah, is one minute. <laughs> what did everyone else think of the Smallville stuff? I would have liked to see more of the stuff when he was younger. <laughs> Honestly, like yeah. like I said earlier, if there's if there's lost footage out there, I, I hope it's in that part of the movie rather than after he puts on the costume. I mean, he put on. I'm, I mean, I'm glad we got a lot of stuff with him in the costume, but. He put on the costume far earlier in the movie than I thought he would. And I don't know if it would have been better served moving that back or, or you know, closer to the end of the movie, but I, I, I think there's a lot more room for expansion in the first half of the movie. But I liked what we got. I thought it was a, a little bit genius that we didn't just go through all that stuff linearly. Yeah. That we go from the crash... Uh, quick cut to him as an adult on on the ship and then we just get those beats as they relate to the getting the highlander story. flashbacks yes <laughs> yeah the first part of the film it would have been great if they did an extreme close-up on his eyes <laughs> it was very batman begins in that regard yeah but it didn't do it as much batman begins like really just went through that stuff so quickly and I, I I liked that about it because you would get like a two line scene that was part of part of a sort of a montage it's a montage exactly and for for uh, Man of Steel you didn't have to do that you you could actually stop t- take a take a time show an entire scene rather than just going through like and just having here's a two line scene here's a two line scene here's a two line scene some of it's going back some of it's coming forward and that's all I have the, to say about that somebody else talk <laughs> <laughs> the bit with Lois from the beginning um, that we see her. Well, she's not in the beginning looking for Clark, but she, she's on the beginning looking for something and then it turns into a search for Clark. Um, I was expecting that to play out. Basically, once I saw what they were doing with her looking for Superman, I, I was like, okay, she's going to know the whole thing from, from 
you know, from the very beginning. And I'm, I'm kind of glad that it played out that way. Um, it takes the whole how dumb was she question completely out of the mythology. And, and I like that. Well, no, it doesn't. It's not completely out. Once again, she said Clark in front of everybody. <laughs> but <laughs> be that as it may, um, I really, uh, this is, <laughs> I almost want to say I prayed on it, but it wasn't quite that serious. Uh, the idea that now we're not going to get the triangle of Clark, Lois, and Superman. Yeah. Oddly enough, I'm okay with that. And I'm very selfish in being okay with that. Because one of my big things is that I, I feel certain elements of these characters, Superman, Spider-Man, Batman, whatever, need to stay in a certain amount of stasis so that the next generation can appreciate that. So not having that in these films and having Lois, you know, no, like meet him first as Superman in the fortress where he does emergency surgery on her. Um, is, is very hurt. different. Is, yeah, it's going to hurt. Is very different. But on the other hand, and I and I throw this as a question to the group: Do you think the current generation is going to give a crap about that? I don't know. I I came to terms with the fact that that was going to happen when it was spoiled for me because I did try to follow actually all the stuff just for the stuff I was writing and uh, some some spoilers I knew to be not real and some I thought wow that probably is real and that was something that was spoiled for me and I was pretty sure that that one was real so I, I kind of came to terms with that before I even saw the film I think the current generation is so used to Lois being in on the secret I mean for the from the comics for what was it a decade and a half she knew the fact they did it on Smallville. Smallville, you know, mm-hmm. Superman the the the, the uh, Christopher Reeve movie. She learned it, forgot it, learned it, forgot whatever. But I think it's just become, you know, it, it's it's a, it's become a part of the mythology now that they actually do get together and and she learns the secret that, you know, the the triangle may just fade away. The um. I think that there are a lot of people coming into this film who know of Superman and have the idea of Superman, but don't really know Jack about Superman. And so if you are going to do the glasses disguise thing with the person he's closest to, you're going to have to sell that really, really well. And um, I think it was just made more narrative sense and was, you know, let's face it, easier to just not have to do that. I mean, everybody that he deals with in the Daily Planet who deals with who's going to be dealing with Clark Kent, they don't know what Superman looks like. Yeah, they him- saw him from a distance, and let's be fair, eyewitness accounts suck to begin with, and when you almost just died 15 times in the last five minutes, I think your reaction is going to be a little skewed. I, I just think he's kind of hot. But but that was that that was Erica Durant's, wasn't it? She looked nothing like Erica Durant in the film. <laughs> yeah, but 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 did you, did you guys saw that, right? Yeah. Okay, just just making sure that uh, that, that everyone's on. Like, I'm not making references that only I know about, which has happened in the past and really makes me uncomfortable. So. Uh, I do want to say though that I think Superman. That's the, movie... the best reaction to that sentence ever, by the way, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I think Superman the movie showed that you can do the 
Superman Clark Kent disguise on film and it works. I'm not talking about real world. I'm talking about on film that an actor can do both roles and believably pass on the idea that they are not the same person. It is hard, though. I mean, Dean it is difficult. did not manage it, unfortunately. No. But I, it, it can be done. But, you know, I agree with what y'all are saying and what John, I think it was John that said it actually a while ago. But, you know. It, it can be done. I'm just saying you, you would have to sell it. And I'm, I, I'm kind of glad they chose a narrative that didn't even require it. I have some of the similar feelings I had back when we thought on the New 52 show when we thought that Lois knew the secret in the new continuity. I was like, you know, wow, that that opens up a whole lot of new stuff. I think that's going to be some really cool stories going on because they're not romantically involved. And yet she knows his secret. Wow. That's the and then, of course, Dan DiDio said, well, George Perez, and we're not going to do that anymore. So um, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. But no, I'm just surprised you're the one being being like cynical about the whole thing. You of all people. <laughs> My illusions are shattered. <laughs> I, I, I enjoy my comics. I like to enjoy my comics. I don't like when stuff happens that makes me like, lose some enjoyment from my comics. So, um, but yeah, I, I'm looking forward to the future Superman films where Lois knows. And it's just easily done that way. Well, and this is another overarching question that has to do with the entire film before we get to like the the, the action sequences, uh, which was pretty much the last half, I would say. Um, do you think Smallville and the fact that it was on for ten years and so many people watched it had not a, not an inspiration on this, but that they could get get him into the suit faster because you had ten years of seeing that. I have a somewhat definitive answer on that, so I'm going to let everybody else speak first. David, why don't you go first so, on that one? So basically they went, because of Smallville, that accelerated them putting him in the suit? In the movie. Because yes. we, we've seen that, so let's get to the costume. Correct. I do. Yeah, I definitely think that was a big piece of the puzzle. May, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. John? Um... I would. I didn't feel that when I was seeing it. I, I felt like it was kind of a natural progression of things. Um, I think that the film's narrative structure, with having all of the flashbacks kind of spread throughout the movie, you're able to get him into the suit in the present day narrative, and still have the origin and development playing out um, as the movie continued. So I, I think it actually benefited. I don't know. I liked the way it happened. I'll say that. <laughs> what about you, Mr. Bailey? I, I think it had something to do with it, but not in a not in a negative way. Uh, and I and I realized that my question could have come off as me being kind of uh, like like pithy or about the whole thing. Is I, I think that they put him in the costume as fast as they did, mainly because it's a two and a half hour movie and we're spending millions and millions of dollars on this so why don't we you know <laughs> chase let's cut to it yeah. uh, I was surprised they put him in as fast as they did I was surprised that Lois because you saw in the trailers like Henry walking through the ship and then you saw Lois walking through the ship and in my head it was like that's two different parts of the movie not yeah. 
it happening right on top of each other. Uh, but I liked that. But but this is this is where my pacing issues kind of come in. That the whole thing in the fortress was great. It was a very well written scene. I loved how all of the elements of the trailers we'd been hearing and Jarrell's lines came together in this really neat like monologue. You know, kind of kind of like saying, okay, here's the modern day version of Marlin uh, uh, of of us showing you know micro photography of things exploding, looking like they're exploding through space as. Marlon Brando, you know, explains the way of the world to his son. Here it's Jarrell, and and my God, those special effects behind Jarrell gave me like vertigo, like you wouldn't believe. Did anybody happen to notice? Sorry, in those in, within those special effects, that the ancient Kryptonians wore suits that look a whole heck of a lot like Lex Luthor's uh, suit, the purple and green one. I didn't Not quite notice it, but I'll be looking tomorrow. Okay. One thing I noticed I in like Time Lords. One thing I did notice in that, and maybe I was just seeing things, but at one point, like this sphere zipped across the screen with uh, little uh, I don't know what you call them, like things sticking out, and it looked a whole lot like the ship that Kal-El was sent to Earth in in Superman the movie. I'm just saying. I will be looking for that again. I will be I looking will for that as to... well. <laughs> oh, because it looked kind of like a star. And it wasn't. A, it wasn't a star because on the front of it there was the the House of L symbol. Okay. So I don't know what it was supposed to. It's one of those things I'm gonna have to pay more attention to next time I see it. But I will have to look at that tomorrow as well. Um, I just want to point out real quick. It just hit midnight here in my time zone, and I have the. Man of Steel Experience app on my iPhone, of course, and they just sent me a text message. Man of Steel is in theaters today. Well, <laughs> I already saw it, so thank you very much. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks for the heads up. <laughs> I'm glad that we all have it, because otherwise there would be somebody on here just being like, hey, man, I haven't seen it. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, <laughs> Steve Eunice put something on the Superman homepage, like, okay, I'm going to, or, or on, the, on the Facebook part of the Superman homepage, saying, okay, th- this is going to be a thread for people who want to talk about Man of Steel if they've seen it. And uh, somebody came on and said, no spoilers, please. And I'm like, or you could just wait until you see it to read this thread. Yeah. Now that you've commented <laughs> on it, you're going to get notifications as we spoil the film. Exactly. Or, or sometimes things will pop up in your feed, though. When someone posts there, it'll say, you know, so-and-so posted it the, in, the, in the group. Like I was spoiled on the Aaron Smolinski, Aaron Smolinski thing because it just popped up in my news feed. Yeah, but would I mean, you have that? Known wasn't a big that? spoiler, but I mean – you know. No, because I have no idea what that, that guy to... looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Would, would you have known that to see him? I mean, I didn't know about it. No. I'm going to have to keep an eye out for for it for the next time because I didn't even know it in the second screening. Yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> Aaron Smolinski makes a cameo? Yeah. yeah. I honestly did not know. So I, I'm pretty sure it was just like, you know, he was hired for the role, not because he was in Superman the movie, but. No, I, I, I think could... that's why he's there. I'm oh, you think sure so? There. Yeah. Hmm. Okay then. No, I I I I cannot like actually back that up. But um, does anybody else have anything to say about the you know did they do this to be you know different from Smallville? Because I do have oh. a definitive answer about that. Just, just oh yeah, go quick, go for it. Just to, oh, did you not answer, John? No, I, I was I was telling Jeffrey to go for it. Oh, okay, this... well, just a real quick answer on my part is, you know, I thought they would put him in the suit later in the film, but you know when you compare Man of Steel to Superman the movie, just judging off the top of my head, I think we got about the same amount of time in and out of the suit. Because there's a lot of time in Superman the movie when he's not in the suit. Mm-hmm. 
That's so, like the first 45 minutes of the film. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. But, Jeffrey, what, what is your definitive answer? Well, um, when I was on the set and um, th- I talked to David Goyer, something that did not make it into the printed interview – well, I say printed, it's online, but anyway um, – was that he he was talking about how – people didn't really know Superman's origin anymore, so that's why they were doing the origin over again. And, you know, young people hadn't seen any of the Christopher Reeve Superman movies, which I didn't think was quite right, but, I mean, he might be right. I I don't know. And, um, but, and then I did kind of jump in and say, we just had ten seasons of Smallville that was all about Superman's origin. And, and and he said, yeah, but you know, not as many people saw that as we'll see this film. And you know, I I wasn't that that into it. I saw some of the first season and didn't really see it after that. So I don't think that any of that was actually necessarily part of you know w- something they were trying to do to be not like Smallville or be like Smallville in in some way. I do find it interesting that so many Smallville actors got cast, but and I seriously doubt that Christopher Nolan watched Smallville. I seriously doubt it oh every week he has every box set I've seen the pictures yeah. it's, it's, it's rather funny and it's uh, on his TiVo <laughs> he still has a TiVo but, but, I, but I will not explain how I know that it is on his TiVo <laughs> <sighs> well that, that, that's interesting to know I mean it's, it's it's weird because as Superman fans we you know have you know digested all of these forms of Superman multiple times it's it's hard to gauge sometimes what Joe Q public out there knows. I uh, am a middle school teacher, and I showed the trailers for Man of Steel to several of my students a few times. And as they got new ones, I would show them. I had one girl that I showed it to, and she had never seen the like. Whenever Superman takes off in that film, her eyes got so huge and she had this like big old like eight year old delighted, got a brand new toy grin on her face when she says he can fly too. And it was just How old was she? eighth grade. So 12 so or 13, 13? 14. Yeah. yeah. So you're talking somebody who's in there, you know, mid teens or early teens. And there doesn't had, know some of these things. It's funny really- because the, the the people who are going to have problems with with the with the changes that are made, really are going to be the ones who are fans. I mean, I'm not saying that they're not fans, but they're fans of things like Smallville and the Superman movies, or they're fans of the George Reeves series and the and Lois and Clark. They, you know, they, this is something that that I, I kind of said at one point just online passively that if if you can be a superman fan and you kind of just have to pick one or two versions that you like if you want to be somebody who's a fan of all of it all the way from you know Kirk Allen the Fleischer the golden age stuff all the way up to 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 now then you're probably going to be okay with with the changes that are made because not only are you used to it but they're also they're also different well, if you've never seen anything, then it's not a change. That, yeah, that is well. you have no ba- you have no basis yeah. of comparison. Well, I mean, the thing that I really and, and 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 really have made an effort over the past year to do this is in my head when I see something, I, I have to put myself in the in the mindset that there are people out there that have you know. Let's forget 
the level of knowledge everybody on this call has about Superman. Okay, let, 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 let's take that off the table. There are people out there that barely know... I mean, everyone here caught that Steve Lombard is in this film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think right. anybody that is only familiar with Superman the movie or Smallville or, you know, you know, Superman the animated series is going to even care that Steve Lombard is in this film? No. No, the only people that are going to care are the people that are going to know and we're praying throughout the entire film that when that stuff starts falling, that maybe he'll just <laughs> die and we will <laughs> never have to deal with him. I thought but sure no. he was a marked man when they were <laughs> trying to pull Jenny out of the rubble. Yeah. <laughs> Sadly, though. But but you, you, it's something that I have to keep in mind that when I'm talking to people, it, it's it's something I jokingly posted on Facebook. There is that sheer moment of terror in my head whenever someone goes. So does Superman ever get married? I mean, I, I had this. I had it happen a couple days ago. Like, how do I answer this? And I really want to, at some point, get somebody to do like an animated sequence of that of what's going on in my head, of me sitting there trying to suss out and thinking like, are they talking about the 1978 marriage in Action Comics number 484? Are they talking about the Lois and Clark marriage? Are they talking about the near wedding on Smallville? What? Oh God! Yeah, uh, yeah in the comics, once they were married. Because that's yeah. all the person wants to hear. So <laughs> the, the, the correct answer is, as far as you know. <laughs> so for a lot of people, there are going to people be people out there that are going to think, I never even knew that he came from another planet. or I knew, So that's what Krypton was like? And that's going to be their fully formed opinion of what Krypton is forever. Right, because right. this is the big budget that's going on right now. So, And if you show them Superman the movie, they're likely to get turned off because this is their first the krypton parts i mean yes so uh the what i'm sorry dave i was thinking that was an interesting point that you know there are people coming from the other side of the road who will have seen this first and their their father or their grandfather decide to throw in superman the movie to show them what it was like and it's a complete turnoff we're all the explosions (laughs) It's going to be like me as an eight-year-old kid seeing the George Reeves Superman show on PBS and going, what is this? <laughs> you know, later on, I would appreciate it. And I, and I love that series, especially the first season. But to be fair, when I was a kid, I really wasn't all that into it at all. Same here. Just because it wasn't something for my generation to appreciate. Right. Now, there's going to be someone out there right now going, well, when I was eight years old and I'm your age, I liked it. That's great. I'm happy for you. But for me and for a bunch of other people my age, it wasn't that way. Because there's always that one person that is the exception. Which well, for is me, watch, make- watching it was, was like an obligation. I mean, I, that's that's the way that, that, that I felt about it. It's not... It's not- I feel bad about it or anything, but just as being some somewhat of a of a completist, like yes, I do want to read the old comics. Which I mean, John and and Michael Bradley have read a lot more of old comics than than I have, and Billy Hogan has read more Silver Age. But I have read some here and there, and I would like to have read all of them. And I want to. I finished the George Reeves series, and I've seen all the Kirk Allen serials, and I, I, I did enjoy them, probably not as much as I would have as a kid. 
Yeah, I, I watched all of the George Reeves, and I was really impressed by the 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 tone of the the mole men in the in the first season. But by the end of that sixth season, man, I was slogging through them. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like the first what, season of Superboy, so I'm with you. <laughs> but like Michael, whenever uh, Adventures of Superman would come on Nick at Night when I was a kid, I'd be like, eh. I, I mean, I would shrug it off. Now I love them because of I, I just a different perspective, I guess. So, so I, I guess and, this is the rest of the movie section. Just think, <laughs> I was just thinking the same thing. In 25 years, there's going to be another generation that are looking at Man of Steel thinking, wow, that's bad. You know, that's not for me. So There are well, I, people thinking that now, apparently, and I don't really get yeah. that. But, I mean, I, I guess I, that's just me, too. Haters going to hate. Right, John? <laughs> I, I will say this, though. I will say this. that The action in this movie, especially when he puts on the costume and we're really getting into the meat and potatoes of the fight in Smallville. Um, the, the, the way the film was structured, I thought the whole thing with him talking to Jarrell and then flying back down to Earth was going to be later in the movie. Seeing where it was, though, one of my absolute favorite moments of the entire film is they're threatening Martha, and all of a sudden Superman whizzes in, mm-hmm. grabs General Zod, and it basically turns into, you threatened my mother, so now I'm going to pound on you unmercifully. Yes. That was such an awesome moment. That that scene where he's whizzing through the cornfield, or the, uh, the field anyway, just punching Zod in the face, you know, saying, you don't threaten my mother. That that was yeah. As far as one narrowing down think, to like one two minute scene, that's just my favorite. You scene. know what would have happened? We would have had the next snap a lot earlier in the film if Zod's response had been, "Yo, mama's so fat." <laughs> I killed your dad too. Oh God. <laughs> no, there's a there's a question. Since since, since, since that fight brings up a, a really interesting point, what did you guys think of? X-ray vision and heat vision in this movie. Oh, some great effects. Oh, yeah. I like the seeing the veins open up as if it's if it's illuminated from within the head. I immediately thought the of Smallville, and I and I thought of the fact like why is this all hitting him at once? Because you know in Smallville it went over you know so many episodes, and then I I had to like consciously think about the fact that okay this is a film it's got to be done quickly and of course it has a very specific effect later on with Zod and and so on yeah yeah I thought the effects the special effects on it were great I mean they can just do so much more now than they could in 1978 or 1950 whatever you know and it was really cool since it caused young Clark pain and that he you know had to figure out how to you know hone his senses in the same way that he had to in Smallville which which really I mean isn't Smallville the, the one that really made that a big thing because in Superman the animated series Kryptonians come to Earth and it's like hey I can fly it's easy right <laughs> I I was thinking about the fact that we didn't get an x-ray vision shot of him like intentionally using it to look through something. And we got that dialogue when he's in the interrogation room, but we see the x-ray vision whenever he's like manifesting it the first time. We never get to see him like squint his eyes and stare at something to see through it or anything like that. It's just kind of... I, we'll we'll see just that in the sequel when, when he's Clark and needs to use it so he'll lower his glasses. 
Okay. And then that little <laughs> from Lois and Clark will come out, and we'll all go, really? <laughs> but I was a huge fan of Heat Vision in this. I mean, it takes the idea of laser eyes and just ramps it up to 12. Yeah. And they showed the different ways Heat Vision could be used. You know, it was a concussive force or, uh, you know, cauterizing a wound, which would require smaller beams. And I, I liked that a lot. So the the fight in Smallville, which leads to the fight in, on the other side of the continent and the fight in, in, in Metropolis... The one other kind of, and it's not negative, but the one other nitpick I would have with the film is that as much as they build up the Kryptonians as this major threat, and as and as nail-biting as the scene was in the ship where they're trying to get the little Phantom Zone projector to work, once they were gone, I was like, they're gone? Really? We're just going to suck them all into space? And that's going to be, oh, we got a big fight with Zod. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Zod's still out there. Round two. Let's go. All right. So, so that's kind of whatever I side. <laughs> so eleva- go ahead, David. I was going to say my elevator pitch for as, as far as resolving that Zod thing was he's sitting there sifting through the sand saying, you know, I have one purpose and it's gone. To, to kind of take that theme of, of hope and and choice, I would have had Zod kill himself. I thought he was going to. I thought yeah. sure he was going to pull a blade out and slit his own neck or something, but that would have been. That's not what happened. I know. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> I really love how 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 it happened. I do hope that it's dealt with a little bit in the sequel. I'm okay with. We already talked about you know how the next scene is a little bit different, but I, I actually really love that scene, and I honestly think that it sets up what's going to happen in the sequel. I, I have I have I have a lot of ideas in my head for. Uh, what not not what's going to happen in the sequel, but what some of the themes are going to be. I, but I have I, some I, of those I, too, I've had a lot more time to think about it than you guys have, though. So I mean, it's a little bit unfair. I've, let's let's save sequel talk for a few minutes because I, yes. I I think we have more movie talk. Yeah. Oh yes. Just real quick, I have had to defend the Superman's execution of the Phantom Phantom Zone villains from the Burn era, at the end of the Burn era. You know, I've defended that over and over and over. Because you and me of, both. Because because of how it was dealt with afterwards, there were repercussions for Superman on a psychological level, and that played out very well. So you know he he kills Zod in the movie, which is okay if they deal with it more than a scream and clinging to Lois, because to me that's that's not enough repercussions for killing a man. I don't care who you are. I, you know, I had the I had a similar thought coming out of the theater as you did, Mike, um, because the big thing amongst a large section of Superman fans is that Superman under no circumstances ever kills. Right. And I was on a panel. Uh, I was moderating a panel back in 2006 with Marv Wolfman and Peter David and kind of had to bite my tongue because I, I considered it rude to sit there and tell a writer that I respect you're wrong. Um was Marv was joking about the fact that, you know, the lesson learned from the execution of the Phantom Zone villains was, well, you get one kill and then realize it's bad. Mm. At which point I'm like, no, that's not, I guess he saw, I guess he read that and then didn't read any other Superman ever again because yeah. it became a thing. Um, the, and even a- among, 
Well, go ahead. Just there's a difference between killing and murder, you know. Yes. And um, or killing as a first resort. Right. You know, exactly. With, with, That's what I was trying to get out. And get out, and I just couldn't put the words together. But That's with one of the, the things fa- that I don't like about Superman number twenty-two, I don't like how it's written when he executes the villains. I love the the aftermath, like like what happens, but I don't like the moment that he's doing it. I don't well, he does make the point that I am the 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 lone representative of law law enforcement right. on this planet left. But here's the thing: you could even argue there. Well, you could have just left them there. Well, that would have just left them die, like the stolen costume well you could have brought him back to earth well they could have gotten their powers and all that you know there's there's ways that he couldn't have done it but he did it and he did it because he felt that it was the best way to handle the situation right the way it's done in the movie was really weird for me because on one hand you know couldn't he have just put him in like a sleeper hold and knocked him out but then we would have had to deal with him later or just throw them in the know, sun. Fly away or, from the people. Or, 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 or fly away from the people. But, but this was Maybe the, one thing I'm, the, the, the one thing I'm the one thing I'm gonna the, the first thing I'm gonna say is if DC didn't want this to happen, it wouldn't have happened. Right. Mm. This had to be sanctioned by DC Comics. I have but a we feeling are dealing I could be with, wrong with, on that. We're dealing with Dan Didio's DC. The fact that he kills him. In the way that he did it, doesn't bug me at all. And I know I'm going to be arguing about this for six months to a year to probably six years from now because some people can't let things go. But the fact that he did it, to me, does not make him less of Superman. Same here. Because this entire film, Cavill, from the moment he opens his mouth, is Superman. Yes. Even when he's not wearing the costume, even when he's standing up to a bully in a bar, even when he's, you know, showing off his abs of steel, you know, with fire licking all around it. This man embodies this character and looks like he's having fun. Him learning to fly was yeah. amazing yeah. to watch. Yeah. I'm I glad you it. mentioned that because that was one of my favorite parts of the film was his first flight. I love the pure unbridled joy that he was expressing during that. It's just great. And that's got to be hard because he was basically on a chessboard. Yeah. Yeah. I think you have this story of this man who has spent the last 15 years of his life trying to find where he came from and finally finds the answers, finally finds the ship and learns about his father and learns about Krypton. And then Krypton shows up. And he finds out that not only, you know, is he from Krypton, but here are Kryptonians. And, oh, look, the entire potential for the Kryptonian race is in my possession. And all of this stuff is going on. Like, Krypton is here. It's at hand. It's it's creatable. It's, it's, it's makeable. And it comes down to a war between him and this representative of Krypton who wants nothing more than to destroy everything he ever had for the last 33 years of his, for his entire life. And so even though I think that the, that that story and those beats could have been played better, I, I, I do think that, that they really needed to flesh out that emotion a bit more. 
I do think that that's what the story was intended to be. That's what Clark is wrestling with when he's holding Zod down and trying to figure out what to do is Zod is about to kill these three humans in this bank. And that represents the fact that Zod wants to wipe out the entire earth and Clark has a choice. Is he going to let him or is he not? The, the, the thing about that moment, though, is that it's very, very specific that Zod is trying to make Superman kill him. Because I don't think Zod would literally kill himself. I, I, I don't think he would take out a knife and slit his own He throat. might not like, be I, genetically capable of doing so. That, Ooh, that's, point. that's true as well. But uh, to have Superman kill him... It, it, is something that he's specifically, you know, telling him that he's going to force him to do. The fact that he's using heat vision against that that family in the, um, it, it's basically like Grand Central Station. It's it's heat vision, so he doesn't need to move his head. He can just move his eyes over a little, and they're gone. He's making him kill him. This is wow. a specific thing that he is making him do. And, I mean, in some ways, I think he must know that this will, you know, destroy him emotionally. So do you think that all of his stuff about you killed my soul and I'm going to destroy everything you love is a farce? No, he's trying to, to bring Superman to that level. Yes. He's, he's not trying to just beat him up. And now that you say that, that's kind of mind-blowing, Jeffrey. So he won. I'm sorry, I've had time to think about it. In a very yeah. real way, yeah. Uh, Zod won. Even though humanity is saved, there was a price for that saving. See, that, they, then they need to deal with that in the sequel. They probably will, and, and that's why Brainiac would be a great villain. Um, uh, I've got to yeah. that. No, I, I think Brainiac's more for the third one. Yeah. I think Brainiac in the second film would be a retelling of this film in a lot of ways. I think so, too. But then again, what, what's going to happen is that in three years the film's going to come out has got nothing to do with anything that happened to this film and we're going to be bitching about it for six months of what they should do but we can save that to to after we've talked about the film more no I, I i just think it the ending we had an ending and then we had another ending so it was kind of like a, a meatloaf song uh in, in that way um but, but it was satisfying because we got all the action that we wanted in Superman Returns. And here's the thing about this film. At no point while watching this movie did I think I should be liking this more than I am. Yes. Th through just about every point of this film, I'm like, I'm liking this as exactly as much as I need to be liking it. I cheered at places, especially during the fight scenes. I mean, it was just... And, and like I said, the moment where Colonel Hardy goes, you know, this man is not our enemy... Like all of that, all of that rage that I felt over Superman being seen as an enemy in the comics just evaporated, because it's like okay, at least in the movies they're going to see him as a hero. And then you you also have the the naming aspect that Lois sort of, you know, has the idea for the name. We don't get to hear the whole thing, but that then humanity itself gives him the name. Because you, you, you had that, that, that whole scene. Him, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. With that guy who was on Smallville. You're kind of blowing my mind. There's a lot of perspective kinda, changing. I kind of didn't you know? like that scene, but... I'm Go sorry? Ahead. I kind of didn't like that scene, but... The, the scene ahead. about, well, that they're calling him Superman? Yeah, it seemed to be more jokey and, and poking fun at it than oh. I would have preferred, but... I didn't take it that way at all. But... It, 
like I said, you know, anything I say tonight might change on, on subsequent viewings. So I, see, I, I, I prefer I, I the idea. Of, I prefer the idea of somebody, especially Lois, bequeathing the name on him. Oh no! Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I think it would be very. You, you can't have Superman naming himself Superman. Right. I, I just, but know. like, as opposed to like the general public, oh, they're just starting to call him Superman. Now, I, I think somebody needs to say this guy is Superman rather than that just be like a public consciousness thing. No, I I just really like that they they gave the nod to the idea of Lois giving him the name, but then completely separately, everybody's just calling him that. And I, I love that. I'm, I'm sorry that you guys don't get as much out of it as I do, but I love it. No, I, I, I really, yeah, as you said, I can't, I can't see Superman giving him that name. I like it a lot better when it is from Lois and it just spreads. The guys are like, Superman, that sounds pretty cool. I can dig that. And it just spreads like wildfire. Yeah. And here it just spread by itself. And the, but they still gave the nod to Lois giving him the name anyway. Let me, let me clarify. I like the idea of it. It was more the delivery that I took issue with. Okay. Yeah, it, 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 it was funny, but I didn't think of it as comedy. Okay. Or, or maybe playing with audience be, expectations. Yeah. Yeah, kind of, because it's kind of obvious that he's going to be named Superman. They're not going to change that. <laughs> well, there, there was this whole thing like, is he going to be named, be called Superman in the movie? Which, oddly enough, was one of the interview questions uh, for I think Zack Snyder, and he did say yes. I think that after that moment, he's not called Superman again. No, he's. I didn't catch it again, but. Huh. But they don't really talk about him all that much either. Yeah, it's that's not true. Like the general is going to go, Superman. Why did you throw this missile down? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, no, it's just it, it, you know that whole thing, especially that scene with with him and Lois and and all that. I, I love. It, it is a testament to Henry Cavill's acting ability that he did not deliver the line if it makes them feel better as arrogantly as he could have because yeah. it did come off very much as I'm doing this because it makes them feel better because when he snaps those handcuffs <laughs> I mean everybody in that room just like stood up and it's just like you know and but it was great because it, it was again him being a figure of going look I'm not here to hurt you yeah, you know, and yes, I'm messing with you, Professor Hamilton, by telling you about everything that's in your pocket. You know, it, you know, it's not like he looked in a purse and said, you know, you know, ten bucks and a lipstick and a hairbrush and all that. Is that worth getting mugged over? <laughs> I mean, it it was just, you know, who 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 should would be uh, the uncertainty of. So, what do you want? What do you think Zod wants? Well, that kind of bugged me because your father basically just told you, by the way, Zod's a bad guy. <laughs> Zod's a really big bad guy and tried to take over Krypton. At what point does him coming to Earth mean anything good for humanity? On the other hand, having just learned your parentage and then finding out that there are others like you out there, you know, it's only after his discussion with Zod in the Watchmen-esque dream sequence uh, that's what it reminded me of, of, of Salad, you know, of, you know, Silk Spectre and Night Owl. See, know. I went to Terminator 2, but okay, I, totally I see where you're coming too. from. Okay. One thing that bugged me on the first viewing, but on the second viewing was uh, kind of fixed for me, was the idea that, you know, Superman could go to the ship, which has a Kryptonian atmosphere, and he loses his powers. But then it actually did have a line of explanation that I had sort of missed that was a little bit earlier in the film. How did you guys feel about the dealing with 
the, with the the way that the powers work since I mean Feora for instance was not exposed to the yellow sunlight but was still uh, very fast and, and very strong um, I was thinking about it as it was happening because I did think that uh, it, maybe it was Feora seemed to get powers a bit earlier than she should have done mm-hmm. um, I think it does kind of go back to Zod's later line in the film when he's like you know you train on a farm I've been training how to handle my body as a weapon since I was born so the fact that each to his talents or her talents was able to adapt to the abilities quickly uh, I think works right but, um, but she, she, she was still not exposed to the yellow sunlight and was able to have super speed, super strength, and was bulletproof. Where well, they've been in the atmosphere about? for a while. Maybe oh, they, they were. Ship. Maybe they were going back to an older explanation from the comics that it was both gravitational differences between Krypton and Earth and yellow and sunlight. You are correct, sir. I yes. Was, I, was, I was seeing if somebody else had the answer as well, um, because. Krypton does have a, a denser, as David Gore said, about ten times, you know, a denser or more massive, uh, like planet. So, so much higher gravity. So when they come to Earth, they can just move, right? And and that's that's why that that happened that way. I the, sorry, um, I just wrote an article about it this morning. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's okay. Do y'all feel like this was a stand-in for Kryptonite? No, it wasn't used in the same way. He it was used as just as a stopgap to get us through one action sequence. It didn't come down to the climax. Kryptonite would have been involved in a climax. Yeah, uh, well, Kryptonite will almost definitely be in the sequel. And okay. They have a really, really good plot, plot. They have a really, really good plot device for it to already be on Earth because they tried to turn Earth into Krypton and oh, so Kryptonite yeah. in the Earth. When he went up to the ship and immediately started losing his powers, and they explained that it was because of it being like Krypton there, I was like, oh, this is something like Kryptonite. Oh, interesting. I hadn't thought about that, actually. Because that, yeah, that was I, just something in the atmosphere, whereas I think of Kryptonite as like an element. Right, right, right. It's not the same thing. That's why it's like, it's like a stand-in for the concept. Similar effects, similar mythology behind it, but a different execution. But also, I mean, he could adapt to it the same way that the other Kryptonians could. And over time, he would have been more or less fine. But also, I think that the atmosphere did something to them. I mean, for instance, they could be shot by the lasers. I don't know if those would have been as effective on... Well, yeah, they probably would have been just as effective on Earth, I would imagine. Unless they um, were exposed to the yellow sunlight, at least. But it doesn't happen anyway, so oh well. (laughs) Well, the lasers would have probably properties, you know, exclusive to Krypton. So, yeah, I can see that that would be a legitimate weapon. How awesome would it be if they'd been green? Earth had been attached to his head. I just want a Kryptonian with frickin' laser beams attached <laughs> to his head. <laughs> what do I pay you people for? Throw me a bone here. Well, let's talk about Zod a little bit as an enemy. As the nemesis of the film, did Michael Shannon deliver or? Oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> I believe so. God, yes. Auntie Atrawa did too, though, I've got to say. She was fantastic as well. See, I was disappointed. I thought Feora would be a bigger part of the puzzle. 
She had a I didn't solid know it would seat. be as big as it was. Kind of with Jeffrey okay. on this one. Because she had the major scene in Smallville, and then she was just kind of his right his henchman for most of the movie. Well, she follows her general. That's what she was born to do. Yeah, I think that a, a lot of the coolness with her comes in the play between her and the um, the narrow faced soldier boy. I forget his name. Um, uh, Chris Colonel Maloney. Harvey. Yeah. Uh, I, I liked that playing out the way it was. Um, I loved her fighting style and how she was basically like the flash, like invisibly passing from one point in space to another. And I just, I, I loved it. Um, I understand now why the quote third Kryptonian didn't really get much play in the media because there wasn't really ever a third Kryptonian. Namek isn't even named in the film that I could hear. Nope. Um, cause I was, I was wondering if it was Namek or Namek, but the, 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 the other Kryptonian in the Smallville fight doesn't get a name. Oh, Mackenzie Gray as Lex Luthor. That panned out. <laughs> the weird thing is he actually looks like Jack Zur, so I thought the same thing and they couldn't use Dev M because they already had him in the prequel yeah I noticed that but even though he was in the credits Dev oh, M's name Dev is M in, in the, the credits? credits there was a Dev M in the credits believe me I was watching interesting okay. yep, then why did IED. they bother putting him in the prequel because somebody didn't know he was going to be talking to each other. <laughs> David Goyer wrote it. No, he didn't. Sterling Gates wrote that. David Goyer was in the writing credits. Hold so on. is Sterling Gates. Well, yeah, but just the fact that David Goyer wrote some of it, I would so have to imagine. So probably Gates put that element of the script in there without Goyer realizing it. Exactly, or Goyer talking. I go back to my original point. Why does he even get a writing credit then if he's not, if he has nothing to do with it? It was probably Marvel method. Here's the concept. Here's how the ship got here. Go. Then you don't get a writing credit for that. It could be that they outlined the entire thing together and plotted every scene out, but Gates wrote the actual script and he didn't get a line edit afterward. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. Story by David Escort, Jeff Johnson, Zack Snyder, script by Sterling Gates. Okay. So it's a very good chance that he did that in the same way that they wouldn't give any information to Jerry Ordway. And it may also be in a deleted scene that explains the ship a little bit more. He didn't even get the reference to the ship. Or you could just have two people 18,000 years apart who haven't had the same name. (sighs) That I will buy into just because that way it can still make sense. Story-wise, so I'm going to go like with John on that one. It, do you think that Kara's still alive in a pod inside that ship? That would be awesome, but no, no, never going to happen. <laughs> never going to happen. Speaking of Supergirl, never going to happen, my friend. When I was when I was watching the movie, I was seated next to uh, a man and a woman with five kids, four boys and one girl, probably three, four, five years old. I'm not good at judging ages, but she was dressed. Head to toe in a Supergirl costume. Awesome, Very awesome, nice. awesome. Yeah. That's actually, that's an interesting question. It, if there were children in your audience, did you see how they reacted? Um, the ones that were sitting next to me, the boys were all probably between the ages of 7 and 12 in there somewhere. And they all seemed to be enjoying it. I mean, they weren't really turned off by the intensity of the, the action scenes or... Or the language or anything, but 
my four-year-old got a bit bored. But... Was... Well, it's yeah. I mean, I can see that from a four-year-old. Yeah, it's really an attention span thing. He yeah. came out. He came out with a pleasant response to the film. He's like, "That was so awesome. Really liked that film." But the actual viewing experience was difficult for him. Well, it's two um, and a half he, hours for a four-year-old to sit still. That's after waiting in a theater lobby for an hour. <laughs> yeah, you wait in the theater lobby for an hour, then you have all of the previews and all of the you know before previews screenplay stuff, and it, it's hard to take someone that young to a movie because before the movie even starts, they're done. <laughs> the closest thing to a child in the audience with me was Dylan Sprayberry, and he's not really a child. The uh, the I wasn't really paying attention to the kids because there's something about a heavy set guy in his late thirties watching kids in a theater that may actually you yeah. know be looked at as as, as not proper, um, or asking to take the, their photos right there. Is it hard yeah. you get a table for yes. one at Chuck E. Cheese? <laughs> Can I have some beer too? Because let me get liquored up and then because it's how it's how I get my 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 bravery up. Ask the date. Um, wow. The, uh, this podcast just took a very dark turn. <laughs> no, but okay. So, of the ages in the audience, there were there were people older than than my wife and I, and there were people considerably younger. The newborn did not make it through the movie, um, but I didn't really expect it to. Really? And kudos somebody put to the a newborn to the movie. Yes, kudos to the mother that she did take the the baby out Thank when you. it started crying instead of you know just letting it cry now i have to go with what my wife said why didn't you get a sitter in the first place but that's an argument for another time the smaller children in the audience i wasn't really paying attention to i do know that at towards the end of the film a kid did get up to go get popcorn um so i don't know what that really says because that could be just the kid could just have you know short attention span to begin with so I don't know. I, I really don't. This wasn't made for kids, though. That's the thing. Which Greg yeah, it was really built. wasn't. <clears throat> but uh, neither uh, was neither was the Avengers. And yet, I had a child in front of me at one of the viewings that he was perfectly calm, kind of into the movie. But when the Hulk appeared in the third in the third act, the kid was on fire. I mean, he was into this movie, and I was hoping to see some of that with the younger younger kids. You know, the eight year olds, nine year olds. And really, I heard very little out of the out of the children in the audience, which is you know good on one hand, but to be honest, I think the Avengers is a more visually appealing film. It has a brighter color palette. the The action has more variability to it because it's not just Superman and three Kryptonians the whole time. Um, I, I think there's a lot to the Avengers that would make it more appealing to a younger audience than this film had. I will say that when I went to the screening in L.A. I sat down. I was one of the first people in there. I sat down fifth row center, and then a whole bunch of the other people that were there were press. It was almost entirely press, and I was talking to people saying, oh, yeah, who are you with? Oh, that's awesome. And then there were four guys in their like mid to late 20s who sat behind me who were just talking really loudly, and so I turned and said, hey, so who are you guys with? And they're like, actually, we're just like friends and family of Warner Brothers people. But the one of the first things that they did, I had my hair, my hair's a little bit long right now, and I tied it back. And they sat down and said, uh-oh, there's a guy with a ponytail. We're going to have to cut it off. And so I, I, yeah, exactly. I hadn't heard that since ninth grade. I, I, I turned around and said, actually, my, uh, my, my friend's young daughter has cancer, and I'm going to be donating it in a few weeks. So I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave it alone. 
and they didn't bother me again. I just tell people to never mind. I can't say that. Um, I, 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 I actually am growing it out specifically so that I can then turn turn around and donate it. But I just added that part. But that, after that, they left me the heck alone. Well, that's I was I was wanting to ask if, if that really was the reason, but I I didn't want to be rude. So I am I am planning to, to to donate it. But no, I I do not have a friend whose young daughter has cancer. And that's so, what killed the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> kids with sequel? cancer. Way to well, go, we're Well, we're, we're, we're talking about kids seeing the movie, and as far as I can tell, these were some of the most immature people that I've ever met of this age, so... Awesome. There's really no good segue from kids from cancer or kids with cancer. So, uh, just to the next topic, what did y'all think of the, the way uh, Laura was portrayed in the movie? Oh. And the use of her. Heartbreaking. Yeah. Wish there had been a little bit more, to be honest with you. But I, I feel that way about the whole movie. So I mean, in the space of five minutes, she had to send her newborn child to an uncertain future and watch her husband get killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that she didn't blow off Zod's head right then and there, I just chalk up to shock. John? I'm trying to think of how to phrase it. She... She had a very emotional role. Um, it seemed to be a, 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 a more expansive take on the traditional Lara woman's role in the whole story. Um, and after having had um, Super Ninja Lara in the comics recently, I was a little bit disappointed <laughs> because I really like that version of her. Um but I think what they did and the way they did it was really good. Uh, there, there, there's a lot going on on Krypton. There, there's a lot that's hinted at that Superman fans be like, oh, yeah, they're using that. Like, I mean, Zod cries out heresy whenever Jor-El is talking about what he wants to do with their, you know, their gene pool and everything. We don't have any explanation of why that is or what that is. But, you know, we just know that that's there. So Lara is taking a deep-rooted stand for beliefs that she holds that run counter to the culture, or at least counter to Zod. And um, so I really appreciated that. It was very subtly done uh, because a lot of that's not given exposition in the script. You're just given hints. So I, I enjoyed it. It was not what I was expecting, not necessarily what I was wanting, but I thought it was done well. Very good. Uh, one thing, another thing we haven't talked about, and I know his role in the film was kind of minor, as is his way, but uh, Perry White. Loved him. Nailed that. Yeah. He was good. I liked him. Uh, he didn't. He, he didn't go over the top like Jackie Cooper, which I love. Jackie Cooper. No one's ever going to beat Lane Smith. I think we're all in agreement on that. There was nothing comedic about him at all. No. Uh, but I see, White, the, I, I see the integrity of the character. Yeah. I think Perry White on film is often played for comedy, at least in what I've seen. And I haven't seen everything. But um, this had none of that to it. And I, I appreciated that. Question for y'all, though. I saw somebody, and <laughs> he's probably going to hear this. He's going to know exactly what I'm talking about. And I just want to say I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to call him out. Just 
bringing the opinion to the table. Um, the fact that he's wearing an earring, do you find that at odds with a no-nonsense Perry White kind of character? I hadn't actually thought about that. I, no, I see it as a guy that had a past. A very interesting past that he's not afraid to run away from. The, the, um, w- one of the things for me, when Perry White was cast, or as uh, Lawrence Fishburne was cast as Perry White, there was a little bit of a backlash because he was not a a, a white actor, a, a Caucasian actor, playing the role. And... I did see a lot of comments that were, in some cases, borderline, in some cases, very blatantly racist about it. And I was was asked to write an article about that. And at the same time, they had just announced, or maybe they had just released the issue that had the the new Spider-Man in the ulti- in the Ultimate Universe, who is half black, half um, I, I think Latino of some sort. Puerto Rican. I, I, Puerto Rican, okay. And so I wrote an article basically about those two things, and my argument in both cases were, uh, was, uh, you know who would be okay with Lawrence Fishburne playing Perry White? Perry White. Yeah. Yeah. And and in the same way, you know who would be okay with uh, Spider-Man being uh, half, half black, half Puerto Rican? Spider-Man. Yeah. And that was that was basically the, the crux of my argument. I, I'm actually... Uh, uh, of all the things that I got to do over the course of the, the past several weeks, the, the one thing that I am ever so slightly remiss about is that I did not get to meet or even see Lawrence Fishburne. I know he was in the audience. I did not see him. He's one of my personal heroes. But on the other hand, I did get to meet Bill Nye, so I, and I took a picture with him, and he's awesome. I think it speaks to the fact how little things like skin color matter and how much those kinds of attitudes are developed later in life that as soon as Lois walks into the office and starts talking to him, my four-year-old says, daddy, is that the chief? <laughs> yeah. But don't call him that. I, I sometimes called Steve Eunice the chief just because, and of course I get the proper reaction back. He punches you in the face. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's not playing around anymore. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but um, yeah, okay, that's all I have to say about that. Somebody else. I could be walking into a landmine here when I say this, but you know we're all friends, and I hope you'll take it in the right context. I don't have a problem with Lawrence Fishburne as an actor. The problem I have with him being cast as, and I don't have a problem with him in the film. The problem that I have is Perry White, the character, is not African American. You know, and I would have the same problem if they cast. I don't know, a, a white-skinned actor as Ron Troop. Ron Troop isn't Caucasian. So, t- to me, you're, you're deviating from the character. Or if they cast you know, a, a blonde actor as Superman, Superman's not blonde. He's got dark hair. But they did cast but, Chris Evans as Captain America, and he's brown hair, and nobody cares. That's because... Race is so so much more of a sensitive topic than hair color. But I'm just saying and, it, it, well, it doesn't then matter. You can also add add to that the, the fact that even though there is a precedent for Lois Lane to have red hair, that it is kind of tradition that she's much more brunette, that her hair is much darker. Eh, her hair's bounced all over in the comics. And in the Dallas reimagining of It's a Bird, It's Planet Superman, Lois Lane is black. Really? Yep. Hmm. 
Hmm. Is that going on right now? Or is this? <laughs> that was that was a couple years ago. Hmm. See, but uh, too... I mean, it, it, it would be a lot harder to make Superman look unlike Superman if you were to cast somebody like Will Smith, which was at one point a rumor. I don't know if it was something that was ever being really looked at. But to do something like that with Perry White, who's sort of a secondary character, and in the context of Man of Steel, he's practically a tertiary character, I expect that he will be a little bit bigger in, in the sequel. But in the context of Man of Steel, I think that there's really no room to complain about it. Only, not- only because he does. He only gets so much to do, and so he's not a, a directly huge main character like he, I hope, will be in the sequel. Yeah, and it's not really a complaint as far as right. the criticism of the film. It's looking at you know what what we have presented, been presented with in the comics, and trying to translate that to film. You know, when I look at just throwing out a random actor's name, Matt Damon. I don't see. Thank you. I don't see Superman. You know, and when I look at Lawrence Fishburne, I don't see Perry White because that is not, to my mind, how he is depicted visually in the comics. I, 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 I guess it was different for me it's, because it's I, I just saw it immediately. I, 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 as, soon as, as soon as it was announced, I just saw it immediately. And when when I saw it in the film, I just saw it immediately. So I, I think I just had a different reaction to it. Yeah. Michael, go. Bailey. I, think the, I think the lesson here is is that. People can have a problem with Lawrence Fishburne being Perry White and not be a racist. Yes. Right, and it's unfortunate I, that when I say things like this, you I'm, you have to you have to give like a fifteen minute. You know, right. it, it's almost like the old Prelude. joke: How do all racist jokes begin? You look to the left, you look to the right, and then you tell the joke. I'm not racist, but yeah, no. exactly. <laughs> and you stopped beating your wife as well. Right, so, and, yeah. and I'm I'm not claiming that anybody who has a problem with it is racist. I'm oh, I just understand pointing that. Out that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, 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 that I did see some blatantly racist comments. There on were, but pages, but but yeah. it's it's what it becomes. It becomes. It's yeah. like you know when when people had a problem with um, Michael Clark Duncan being the um, King you know, Pen. kingpin, you know. You know, could you cast a white guy as Luke Cage? You know, obviously it would it would cause more of a problem, but it really does go to who's right for the role. I was absolutely convinced from 1997 until I'm still not convinced that this couldn't work that Ving Rhames should be cast as Lex Luthor, Hmm. just Hmm. because he's a bald actor that can pull off sinister. My top three for for Lex Luthor actually number one is Jason Isaacs. Number two, if you wanted to go a little bit older, you could have um, Stephen Lang, who is probably best known for being the bad guy in in Avatar at this point, or also the bad guy in The Hard Way. And um, he he was also in both the um, Gods and Generals and Gettysburg as as two different characters. But very, very good, and I think he'd be amazing if you went older with it. But if you really wanted to think outside the box, my first choice is um, uh, Juan Carlo Esposito who was um, Gus on uh, Breaking Bad and is in the current show, what, what's the one where it's after all the electronics have been destroyed? I stopped watching uh, it. Blackout? Um, I stopped watching it too after like the second episode. Yeah. 
but revolution. revolution. Not, yeah. R- revolution. Yeah. I I don't know what what his race mix is. I I do assume that he's mixed race just, just because of the way that he looks and the fact that his last name is Esposito. But I think he would be an amazing Lex Luthor, and that's thinking pretty far outside uh, outside the box, which which would be a good possibility. And to bring it I back have... to actual Superman properties that have been realized, you know, we had. Uh, Kristen Crook and Sam Jones in Smallville that were different races from the characters than they had traditionally been presented. Dean Kane. Dean Kane, I was going to throw out there too. And, you know, Smallville writing and their acting abilities aside, they were great in the roles. I mean, Sam Jones and Tom Welling had a great rapport together. Uh, I'll agree with Sam Jones, sir. I hated Lana Lang almost immediately. Yeah, so, well, but that had nothing. I, to, I, but to be fair, that had nothing to do with the performance. It had everything to do with how they wrote her. Right. Exactly. exactly. I've never heard a complaint about Pete Ross being black. I have heard a complaint about Kristen Croix just because people say Lois Lane is supposed to be a hot little redhead, and we didn't there, get that. There were a lot of complaints about Sam Jones. I remember my, when uh, they first my, announced it. My two points that I wanted to say about about Lawrence Fishburne before we get too far away from that is that I feel like since the the point was made about a visual manifestation of the character, I feel like he bore more in common with what I see in my mind as Perry White than the guy they had playing Steve Lombard. Yes. Does with that character. Um uh, I think his his build, his height, the shape of his face, his his presentation, his uh, gravitas, his mannerisms—they were all very pretty whitish. Um, if we want to talk about the actual racial side of it, what was I going to say about that? Oh yes, that there are very seldom white characters where being white is important to who they are, and you don't. You, you you very often have characters of, of non-white ethnicities where that is kind of important. It's easier to go from white to non-white than it is the reverse, just because the way characters are usually written, the fact that they're black or Hispanic or female, uh, you know, since he's also a male, um, those things are often an important part of the character that you wouldn't want to remove. And that's a shame, because if we're going to get to a place... We're getting very off topic here, but um, if we're going to get to a place where race doesn't matter, we can't get there while race still matters. Well, I think ra- remake Django Unchained with uh, with a white actor, Matt Damon, <laughs> Dylan Sprayberry. Uh, anyway, thank you for understanding my rant and not calling me a racist. No, yet, not yet. nothing that you said yet, was in any way racist. Yeah. And and if anybody calls you racist, I'm going to call them reverse racist because that's really racist. Uh, uh. So one thing we haven't talked about, which is another kind of elephant in the corner, and I'm surprised it's not come up even in a uh, uh, passing mention, is the score. It's been in my head for an entire week. I have been up for the last (laughs) four days with dun 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 and the drum beat in my head yeah i am not saying it is as, as iconic as the williams score because you will never take that away from my cold dead hands <laughs> or any but other superman theme at the same time it really serves the movie well the m- music of this movie fit the movie that i you were 
I liked it a lot more in film than I did on its own. Yeah, okay. I, I, I liked it just fine on its own. I, I, um, but th- then again, I did see the film and then I got a copy of the soundtrack for free the next day. <clears throat> there are two or three tracks that I really like on there and the rest is just kind of all sounds sort of the same. Okay. To me, it was to my... better than the Batman theme from the yes trilogy. Yes. Oh, massively. Oh, yes. When this I... had more than two notes, so. <laughs> the stuff dun, on the score, dun, dun. interviews with Hans Zimmer, is, aside from the official trailers, is really as quote unquote spoilery as I got. I tried to avoid a lot of the the interviews with actors and the, the director and the producers and that stuff because I, I was trying to remain as spoiler-free as possible. But I read some of the stuff with Hans Zimmer, and you know he kept talking about this drum circle, and and I, I just kept picturing this or, or hearing in my head this like very dour and and you know all through the movie and like the basically the Batman score stuck in the Superman movie. But I, I like Bailey said it. It very much works within the context of the movie, and I've not heard it on its own. It probably, it well, it won't be as iconic as the Superman or the John Williams theme. But you know, within the movie, it works very well. At the at the after party, Hans Zimmer and about a dozen other people um, were performing just with drums on on a stage. This only lasted about ten minutes, but then there, there were actually two guys sort of way way in the back closer to where I was at the time because that's where the bar was and uh yeah I know and so they they were drumming too and and it would it actually was creating music with just drums hmm. and I noticed in the credits Sheila E was part of the drum circle <laughs> ah who's that you know I have to say that the the most annoying thing about the music was the two real songs we got in the film felt very out of place. Yes. When they got when they, when they got to that small fishing town and the song popped up, I'm like, "Is this an episode of Smallville?" I mean, seriously. <laughs> it sounded like like something out of Highlander to me, actually. Yeah. Like the, the 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 episode where where they go back and uh, it's um, it. I don't think it was Slave Times. I, I think it was after that, and they were you know chasing after these black people to go and lynch them and they're they're playing this music it's not quite banjo music but it's just like very bluegrassy so, something out of um uh oh what was that movie with uh george clooney and oh oh brother where art thou it sounded like something out of that and we had the singer whose name is escaping me right now doing a cover of ring of fire which kind of completed it for me, but I don't know who the singer was. Alison Crow. That's what. It, that's who it is. Ah. See, was she the John one who was in fan, the movie? So. Yes. Okay. During the diner and, scene. Yeah, i I knew that. I knew that that was her because um, St- Steve Yunus at the Superman homepage posted, "Oh yeah, this person has a small role in the film, but she won't say what it is." And I looked at her face and said, "Oh, that's her." Okay. <laughs> I've no. Can idea. I ask a random question? Sure. Uh, this is for Jeffrey. Okay. Um, Jeffrey, you have been rather adamant about the uh, absolute impossibility of Supergirl appearing ever again on screen. Is that just your own expectations or did somebody say something? No, that's just my expectation. And and it's that it will never, never happen. It's just that 
I think that the story that they're telling with with Superman, there was some rumor that Wonder Woman would have an appearance. Are you talking or, just with this particular Superman franchise, or yes, in with, total? With with this particular movie, I knew that okay. there would not be room to put something like Supergirl into it. Um, that there would not be room to put. I mean, there's no reason to do a Wonder Woman cameo. If they're going to do a Wonder Woman, Woman movie, they're going to put a lot of effort into the casting. The same way with with Lex Luthor, I figured that there was very little chance that he would have any sort of an appearance yeah. because they need to go through a whole casting process to make that happen. And so, do, do I think that it's possible? I suppose. Somewhere down the line, I knew it wasn't going to happen with this film. I can't no, imagine. I, I, I agree that it's unlikely from a, like a, a film critic or, or or you know movie creation expectation. What's really probably going to sell and what's not. I agree, it's unlikely. I just didn't know since you right. had always been like that's never going to happen. I just wanted to make sure that that was no. Just I I just don't think opinion. it's it's going to happen. It, it's okay. it's very much my opinion and not 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 an absolute fact. As much trouble as they've had getting a Wonder Woman. TV show or movie off the ground, I think Supergirl would have at least an equal amount of trouble, even outside of this franchise. I, I think less so only because you already have Superman, and you know when you're dealing with the comics and you have a very large world and a large palette to, to work with, and in even Smallville, where it's a TV series, and yes, you can do, devote part of an entire season and then have her come back once or twice. With something that's a movie franchise like this, where it, Let's face it, Henry Cavill playing Superman, the maximum number of times that that's likely to happen, I mean, at maximum, maybe six or seven, yeah. probably closer to, to four, four or five when it comes down to it. I, I don't think that they're going to take the time to introduce this new character who you know has the same symbol and wears a similar kind of suit. I, and, and, and also the fact that we've seen what Kryptonians look like and so I don't think that uh, – I mean, and, and what their suits even look like, that there really isn't room to give her a suit that's in any way different from Superman's. Right. I mean, they don't have skirts on Krypton. And the only way that I, I could really see it working based on what we know so far is if, yes, she did ha somehow survive the um, – the, well, the that crash. pod was empty. That's all I'm saying. I know, but <laughs> we saw what happened in the in in the comic because she got out of it. Just saying, wandering the earth <laughs> like Kane from Kung Fu, or maybe you'll find her in the ice at the end of the the the, the prankster first appearance. That would be great. <laughs> I can't wait to see Mister Mixus Pitalik and Bizarro in in the sequel. Look, look, if they did Mr. McShay's Pitalik in a movie, I would go see that film every day for the entirety of it being in the theaters, just for the pure balls of putting Mixie in a film. Yeah. <laughs> I played that. No, I, that, that was my thought with Superman Returns. Like, okay, a lot of people didn't really like Superman Returns. I was hoping for a sequel, and I was hoping that the sequel would just blow it out of the water, would be amazing best Superman movie ever made and really get, get into some, some awesome stuff. Bring in Metallo, bring in Brainiac and then for the third one, let everybody down except me by having the villain be Mr. Mix of Piddle. Here's a question though on the costume. Um, 
I, I actually rather like the costume except for the midsection. Not because of, <laughs> not because it was missing the trunks, which oh. I've, I've I've gotten over, the but because it was just kind of boring when you got to that area. You know, even even in the new Fifty Two, you got that red belt, which There's breaks. So many it. ways this conversation could go bad. But <laughs> there you go. However, given that all of the pictures we're seeing of Spider-Man's costume and Amazing Spider-Man number two going more towards the classic look. Is it possible, and is it you know, is it even likely, that in the sequel the costume will change a little bit because he just wants to switch it up, or just to make it more look more "quote unquote" classic? Because you've got the audience now, you can do something like that. I don't uh, think the trunks I, are ever going to be returned to. I'm not yeah. talking about the trunks. Okay, but like a belt is some sort of color. Yes. Is it possible? I suppose. But the device to do so, i.e. the ship, is now gone. I have heard the criticism that you need something to break up the blue. Yeah. Um, because basically, from once you get past the symbol and you move down, there's nothing interesting about a suit again. Except for the red boots, which did get some close-ups. Um, I, but you also do have the cape as well. Right. Which was all CG, right? No. There, there were definitely parts when, when it was CG. Um, a lot it, of it was CG, though. The, a, a fair amount of it was. I know that when he did, when, when I saw him doing the, the flying shot where, you know, the, the, he, he went to fly away from that big Kryptonian guy and he grabbed his leg and slammed him back down. It was CG then, but it was not CG in the other scenes that I saw being being shot, which were all very much action shots. They were only doing action shots that day. When I got on the set, the, the shot that I saw being done was when uh, Feora puts her hand over his face and then he uses the heat vision. Hmm. I, I read a passing comment somewhere that all the flowy, fluttery cape sparts were uh, CG. He is wearing a cape in the movie. In, in certain ports, but there are anytime it's like doing the whole really pretty flowy fluttery stuff that was all CG. A lot of it was. I do know that there were also times where there was somebody in a green suit flapping the cape. Okay. Because I sense. saw that in an interview with, with with Henry. It may have been closer to 50-50. I know that the shot where he's coming out of the ship and you see the cape really flowing in a certain way, that it's CG, but then he stops and looks up and then it's not. Right, but it but it's matched up well enough. Yeah, you wouldn't notice the transition, unlike right. Superman Returns, where it's right. really obvious. And yeah, it's also really obvious when he where is. him falling to Earth looks like the worst cutscene animation out of a 2000 era <laughs> PlayStation game ever. <laughs> Not that I'm still bitter about it. Yeah, I thought the cape looked great throughout. I never it never said to me, "Oh, look, this is CG." It just, I just remembered hearing it the whole time. I, I wanted to see more of Zod in his cape. I thought that was pretty badass. Yeah, and, and it catches on fire once they go through the 7-Eleven, so he just loses it, which is too bad. But, Flaming um, cape would have been. Yeah, my, my, uh, my four-year-old described it as him taking off his armor, and then he's wearing Superman clothes. There you go. Oh, t towards the end? Yeah. Okay. Because he loses the cape um, right after they go through the 7-Eleven because it's right. on fire, so he just rips it off. Which is what you do if your cape's on fire. I, I don't well, yeah, that's, that's 
exactly. There was one moment in the film, and I, I noticed this the first time, so I looked for it the second time, and I still felt the same way. I, I'm not saying this was done on purpose, and this might just be me. When he's under, he's in Indonesia, under that ship that's doing the, the the gravity thing, just before he flies up, and that light is all is all over him, and the gravity is affecting him. His face to me looked a lot like Christopher Reeves. Yeah, we I, I were kind of talking about thing. that before. That, oh, okay. That, at different point, no, I'm not not saying that as a bad thing. I'm just saying okay. at different points in the film, he looked like Tom Welling or Christopher Reeve. I mean, he never looked like Dean Cain, but be a little harder to pull off. Um, but you know, it's it's just amazing he didn't that have spit curl. So he didn't have the. Well, isn't that a problem? I thought we were supposed to hate it because of yeah. that. Yeah, we do. <laughs> um. I am going to have to go soon, but I would really like to talk sequel talk before I do. How much more time do you got, John? 10, 15 minutes. Okay. All right. Well, well why, don't, why don't you go first, John? Yeah. So, what, what, are you, what are you expecting from a sequel? What would you like to see in a sequel? That kind of thing. I was thinking about it because, you know, for however long I can think about having done this, I've often said that I want to see Brainiac on screen. Uh, that I really want to see a film that uses something besides Luthor and Zod. And that Brainiac would be a really great idea because of all of the villains out there that are Superman's villains, Brainiac is probably his biggest bad. Um, And yet coming out of this film, I was thinking, okay, well, if they do Brainiac in the next film, in a lot of ways, you're going to have the same movie again. Um, and a lot of the same themes because this movie really emphasized the, the, the whole alien nature. It's an alien invasion, aliens attacking Earth. Um, that was a really big theme of the film. And so I don't see Brainiac working well for the second film and it being its own thing. And if he wants to I, take over Earth, it, it would be the same thing as you know Zod going for the land grab, which has been the same for all the Superman movies. Exactly. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I had to point that out. <laughs> So I was thinking that they could take the um, even though there was that really awesome moment where he said, this man is not our enemy. It's evident at the end of the film that there is still some anti Superman sentiment in the military. They could take that. They could tie in Lex Luthor. um, They could do some stuff with that and then bring in Metallo. As a, as a military operation or preparation in case Superman goes wrong or in case we're mistaken about him. Kind of the same themes that they've been doing with those characters and that dynamic in the last few years in the comics. Um, but that is kind of what I'm seeing as a likely san- a likely candidate for a kequel, I think is what I started to say there. <laughs> um, but yeah. I've got a similar idea, but it takes it about two steps farther. Okay. Um, Okay, Um, here's what I envision for the sequel. We've already dealt with the theme that the military does not trust Superman, but that Superman is trusting them specifically to gain their trust. And so that that was that was the whole thing. Like, look, I I want you to trust me, and so I'm going to trust you. What happens when the United States goes too far for Superman? What if they do something that is against his morality? Does he step in to stop them? And if so, does he become the enemy? 
And there are a few different ways that they can go about that. My personal preference is to jump right in with President Lex Luthor. He's cleaned up Metropolis. You, you, He's you have to you, you have to you have to build up to that. You can't just jump I, into that. I don't think no, I don't think you have to. Jeffrey, the, the general audience needs to accept Lex Luthor as a character and as an enemy of Superman before what? they can accept. Um, so you're gonna you're gonna make him the enemy and say he's the bad guy just jumping in just because everybody knows who Lex Luthor is? No, I think he's difference. saying make the president of the United States the bad guy, and and he's like, and his name is Lex Luthor. Yeah. I don't see the point of doing that. It would have no emotional weight of, for me. I think that the point of doing that is that if Superman's enemy, his greatest enemy, is the is the leader of the of the world that he is trying to protect and the leader of the world that he's trying to gain the trust of, that somebody like Lex Luthor could actually turn the tide against him. And if the United States goes too far for Superman's morality, then that's going to get media attention. That's going to be noticed. And that's something that would be huge. And I, and I would also definitely throw Metallo into that mix because he's a great character, a great way to do it. I would do him as the military version of Metallo. And I would, of course, get Kryptonite out of the Earth basically based on what was just done to the planet. And 2016 I, I is that, election though. year. 2016 like is election idea. year. Have, have, have Luthor be elected president at the beginning of the movie. I think it would work better if he was a senator. <clears throat> I, I like the idea of jumping right in with him being president, with him either being president or running for president. I'm not sure which just yet. I, I would already have Metropolis rebuilt because that's a boring story. And I, I would say that part of the reason why he was able to become president is because uh, everybody loves him for basically personally taking on rebuilding. Metropolis. So a, a, a lot of telling and not and not really any showing there. there there's. It, it would take like one one quick scene of telling. It would be no more than what they did in the opening scene of um, uh, Superman, Batman, Public Enemies, the animated series. Yeah, what you have is you have the Lex Luthor from It's Superman. Only his career didn't fall apart before he got to be mayor. Yeah, but but the problem is there you in It's Superman, Lex Luthor was built up as a character. Before. You're you're wrapping yourself up too much in continuity. We're t we're no, talking I'm about, not. about the movie. No, because okay, that well, could be very. Don't know what I'm doing at all. So, you're you're assuming things based on. I'm I'm sorry that I made the assumption, but no. I, what my point is is that with a character like Lex Luthor, and especially in making him president, if you just jump right into that, the general audience is going to have no context of why they should care that he's president or why it's a bad thing. At this point, so you, you are just no, having, but you don't have to say that it's a bad I'm thing right away. Finished, sir. You are just having a president be the enemy and naming him Lex Luthor for the simple fact of naming him Lex Luthor, which has no emotional weight whatsoever. It has nothing to do with continuity. It has nothing to do with comics. It has nothing to do with any of that. What it has to do with is that you are telling an audience something and not showing it to them. And when you tell without that show, it doesn't have that same emotional weight. Can I tell you how it would show it? <laughs> Without previously, hello. I'm still here. Who okay, it? sorry, I wasn't getting any sound. Um, here's here's how I, I think that would best be done. I would start off showing Lex Luthor as the guy that everybody loves, 
and that he's a great president and that everybody really likes him as a president. Even su- even Superman thinks that he's a great guy, great president, and then he finds out bad thing the bad things about him, the bad things that the United States is doing under his power and that he is not – um, it, it's not that he doesn't know that these things are going on. It's that he's actually literally behind those things going on and that we as the audience learn that as, at the same time that Superman learns that. So you don't need the buildup of him being the bad guy. What you can really do is the buildup of him being the good guy who everybody trusts. And then you show why he's bad. I, I, I think it's oh, – go ahead, John. I'm sorry. I see a lot of similarity in what you're saying with how his, for lack of a better word, evilness was shown in its Superman. Because the first time we see Lex Luthor in its Superman is whenever he's described as the Alderman and he's shown in a very positive light. It's only after we see that initial thing with Lois Lane interviewing the Alderman or whatever it was that happened that we start seeing a lot of the shady deals going down and we get the the impression – I thought the first time we saw him was was when Willie Berg finds the body. No, that's that comes Willie, later. Willie Berg's introduction happens right because he's going to get the camera. The the, the it, Lex Luthor is introduced to the story as the Alderman earlier than that. In the same way that it, I I could have been told that Superman is going to snap Zod's neck at the end. And I would have said, no, they can't do that. And then I saw it in context. And I I know that some people were not okay with that, and it is going to be a debate. I was perfectly fine with it as long as it was in the context that it was delivered in. But I'm I'm, I'm presenting the story sort of – I can't give the context to every scene that could eventually be part of it. I I think that's context that would have to be created for the film. Beyond all of that, I think it's just too real world to really work into a Superman film because then you're not having Superman fight. You're having Superman fight Lex Luthor, but inherently you're having Superman fight the government at that point because Lex yes, Luthor would be the government. I, and I, I don't that's what was set up in the last and, scene. And I, I thought what was set up in the last scene was he was telling the. The, per, the the guy the general that he needs to convince that it's up to the general to convince them that he's not a threat that's right. I don't think that <laughs> how is that setting up Superman versus the government because then he's going to have to be a threat because the government's going too far for his morality I just think that would make for a really boring movie <laughs> I, I think that done correctly, it could be very, very good, very interesting, and still have plenty of action, especially and, and so could and so could Superman getting rid of all of the nuclear missiles, but at heart oh, that, oh. that that also could have worked. It's just it didn't. No, no, it, it, the problem with having Superman take on something real world like that is it for a big budget summer movie, which is what these are at heart. It it's. I th- I I think it, I think you're running into the Superman exploring his place in the world after being gone for five years. You know, it's it's not the Superman movie that people really want to see. Would it be an interesting? <laughs> it's not the Superman movie they want to see. It's the Superman movie they deserve. I was. <laughs> I am not saying that your idea is a bad idea for a Superman story. I just don't think it would work as a big budget film. I, I think that if you 
do it correctly that it that it could be and that there's a lot that would need to be done a lot more that would need to be explored and uh, i'm i'm not ready to jump in and say here are scenes that i would like to see in the 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 sequel i'm just talking about themes that i think would be very interesting that could have a lot done with them and would be very very cool and would would make sense in the context of the of the story that's been created through the first man of steel movie I like the idea. I see it playing out as um, what was the name of the actor who played the president in the West Wing? Uh, Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen. Playing out as the anti-Martin Sheen. You know, a lot of similar. I you know. Uh, so conservative. Just, <laughs> not <laughs> not conservative liberal anti-Martin Sheen, but just that you know a lot of the the interplay with I don't I, I don't know. In my head, this is working. I like the idea. I do wonder how it would execute as a as a um, product from a business because it, whenever you were describing it, I was like, oh, in the next, you know, 2016 is an election year, which would be a perfect target year for the next Man of Steel film anyway. Um, so, but then would you put it in the summer whenever everyone's, you know, wrapping up their uh, primaries? Would you put it at the... Um, uh, it it would know, still be in the summer more than likely. Yeah, so it, it would just be weird as a commentary on an ongoing election, but I think the best place to put is an ongoing election because then you're not necessarily commenting on an existing president. Um, But anyways, I I, I did consider that, that having him being in the process of becoming president and being like the, the most popular one would also be a good way to start at least, or maybe even do the whole film that way. But I, I also thought that having him actually be president probably for at least the bulk of the film would be ideal just because then he is the leader of the free world. And so that does make him a direct threat. But on on the other hand, it would be harder to, for instance, put him in the suit or it would, it might seem weird to put him in the, the Lex Luthor suit, something that could actually go up against Superman. But but then again, by then, I, I do expect that the sequel will have kryptonite. And again, I've already mentioned where they could easily get that from at this point. What about um, other ideas? Dave, do you have thoughts on a sequel? Not a lot, but I think Je- Jeffrey's idea would work really well as a B story. As in there's there's a whole other, you know, there's something else going on. And then it all culminates with Lex Luthor being revealed as, the, as kind of the big bad, the mind behind it. But my original gut reaction was Brainiac. And after seeing the movie, I'm like, no, that wouldn't work. It would be the same thing over again. So I'm, I'm still at the drawing board on that. I did think that Brainiac as a, as a villain for the third film, if they're going to do it as a trilogy, which I really hope that they're not, I, I would rather see it as an ongoing, but if they were to do it as a trilogy, bringing in Brainiac and using the version more like Superman, the animated series, where he's not from Kalu, but he actually is from Krypton and tying it back to Krypton and maybe revealing something new about Krypton would be a, a good way to go about it. But on the other hand, I really hope that it's not a, a trilogy. I want it to be an ongoing. And when once they've done as many as they're going to do, I want them to, to recast some characters and continue the same story. I want it to be like 007 that way, but it's probably not going to happen. They could do that without it being a trilogy structure. They could just have that be the third film and, and, and they do could. Cool stuff with it. They could, but then they might just do like what they did with Batman. And, and st- I'm still annoyed that they really felt the need to end that story. Well, that's that, that's a whole other argument. <laughs> that's a whole other argument. But anyway, uh, did, so so who else has an idea for, for what they would like to see in a sequel? 
I, 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 I've got a few thoughts on it. Uh, everything Jeffrey said, I want them to do the opposite of that. Because <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sorry that I came off as hostile. It's just, it just seems lately when I say things, I get not so much accused of other things. And it's, it's also one twenty-eight in the morning and I had a really crappy uh, past couple of days just in, in terms I, of I things going on. I think you or, or make assumptions. No, 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 no. I was being bitchy and, 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 and it, I really, what I really should have said was Jeff, you ignorant slut. And then gone on a tirade. <laughs> about it. Um, uh, I, I, I honestly think Lex, Lu- I want them to completely reimagine Lex Luthor. And I think that goes to the heart of, uh, of one of my disagreements with your idea is that as as valid as it is it's something that has been done in the past even in terms of smallville they hinted at it so i i really want them to kind of i mean and they're kind of stuck with him being a businessman i guess if you're gonna have you know lexcore <laughs> you know be be thing be a thing but i kind of i want them to if they're going to do lex do it kind of like heath ledger is the joker just something completely different from and 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 kind of just as intense as that barring that i'd love to see metallo uh and i and i am kind of on board with the idea uh, of brainiac being in the third film uh which i guess you would you would title last son of krypton um which which is an interesting thing what are they going to call the second film i was thinking about that i did think about that because Batman was Batman Begins and then The Dark Knight and then The Dark Knight Rises or we couldn't come up with a better title for this because we already used Dark Knight and kind of blew our wad there. Dark Knight Rises, I mean, what is he, a loaf of bread? So, you know, (laughs) it's like Man of Steel, but Man of Steel fits this because it's the introduction of it and there was this very popular miniseries that had the same title that introduced the character. So, you know, you can't call it... Man of Steel two, call it Attack of the Clones, and we'll just laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. You could call it It's a Bird, It's a Plane. They could go with you know something like Superman Rises or or Superman Ascendant, something you know because I'm I'm sure the sequel will be about him uh, finding his place in the world. Yes, John. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Jeffrey's movie could be called Man of Tomorrow, and it's a nickname for Luthor. Ooh. Mm. It's like when you look at the President Lex logo and realize it's an arrow pointing forward. Wow, you just blew my mind, much like looking at the FedEx and realizing there's an arrow in there. <laughs> so, uh, but no, I think Brainiac just, I think I think Zack Snyder proved that he could pull off the space stuff. I mean, we had Star Wars type space battles almost in this with the... Uh, with the ships fighting the fighter jets. I mean, I thought that was pretty awesome. Kind of took ID4 out back and shot it execution style <laughs> uh, in terms of destruction and all that. More than anything, I just want them to explore Superman as a character uh, in, in terms of, you know, having it be a giant action piece like this was, but also he's a hero now what? Mm-hmm. Uh, the only the other reason I'm kind of against the Superman versus the government thing is that has been con- that consistently pissed me off during the Jeff Johns era of Superman, especially New Krypton, and then in Secret Origin. I'm just tired. I think that's played out at this point, and 
again that's that's me being annoyed you know you could say mike you you know forget about continuity but it's an idea so uh if they do it in a different way i mean if they can get it to work (laughs) and i i I just believe that they can because of what they did with with man of steel there are a lot of things about man of steel i i remember leaving the set visit and being kind of pissed off about a few things but still being excited but still being like, oh, but you know, you you have to do this and you have to do this if you're going to do that. And uh, and I I didn't like when they when they did this before, and it looks like they're just doing that again. And I I don't really understand that. And yet I ended up loving the the finished film, of course. And so I I do have some level of trust that they could take an idea that I did not previously like, and I would end up liking it, or it could end up working. I think you could kind of go with what Jeffrey is saying, not necessarily have um, Luthor as part of the government. You know, he he could just be because if you if he doesn't, you, he doesn't have to be, it's just one way to do right, it. Right, he could just be the the voice kind of leading the anti-Superman sentiment, and then you've got the in a in a uh, Godfrey kind of way. Yeah, I guess that's kind of where my mind is going. You'd have to be careful not to maybe tread over too much of that because that was kind of covered on Smallville as well but um, well he just spent all this money rebuilding Metropolis after yeah. aliens invaded and Superman is still an alien yeah and yeah he's a he's a menace he's a threat blah 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 but you know I think- he's J. Jonah Jameson yeah I was about to say he's Superman and Spider-Man all of a sudden yeah. again <laughs> what uh, what Mike said though if they can completely reimagine Luthor like they did with Joker in Dark Knight that would be great how they are going to do that, I don't know, but you know, they've already set set him up to be a, a businessman of some sort. So yeah, um, but they but they can still reimagine him within that, right? But he wouldn't be Gene Hackman and I or or even Kevin Spacey, and I, I think that that would be their primary goal is to do something different from what's been done in the movies, right? As as long as he's not like made all of his money in real estate, I think we'll be fine. <laughs> we should have um, even so. It's all just after land. I'm just saying. <laughs> some nice full red hair and have him get caught in a lab accident and have Superman blow off all of his hair accidentally. I think you should start off with uh, um, Donald Trump's hair. So that you know that it's fake, but there's, there's still you know enough there to kind of work with. But they can play with that. Luthor was an upstanding businessman before Superman's arrival. He was injured in the cataclysm of the the all-out war that went on in Metropolis, and now he's bald. And now all the people in Smallville call him bald head, bald head. And he keeps trying to do things, and they keep screwing up, and everyone makes fun of him on the street. Yes. That would be awesome. <laughs> well, now, wait a minute, though. Jeffrey had a point where, you know, Luthor would rebuild Metropolis. What if the destruction of Metropolis just destroyed Luthor to some extent? Oh, that would be interesting. Yeah. Lily was really excited when she saw the LexCorp tankers. Good. She, uh... She's at that age where whenever she spots something, when she sees something, she feels like she's the only one who got it, and she wants to make sure that other people also got it. So she was very excited when she saw the LexCorp stuff. Uh, Did you hear that? They called him Superman. <laughs> I know, right? 
Well, have we pretty much covered all the bases, guys? And more so. And more so? Do we want to go around one more time and offer some final thoughts, or...? Good day. I was just going to say, I think some of my being, you know, underwhelmed would be, you know, as I told Michael before I went in, it's like, this is a surreal experience. I don't know why I'm having this surreal experience with a movie. And then afterwards, you know, I didn't walk out feeling what I'd felt for the Avengers. The reason being, I went into the Avengers with mid-level expectations and got more. With this, you know, you create the movie in your head, and then there's the movie that is reality. And I think the movie that uh, subsequent viewings will probably increase my love for this movie. Are you saying she didn't put out in the first date? Pretty much what I'm saying, John. And and not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, since that was also kind of the other naysayer at the beginning of the conversation, I'll, I'll do mine. Um, you know, I I really enjoyed Superman and the treatment of Superman. Um, I think that once the film turns to almost nonstop action, while all of that action on its own merits was impressive, I just felt like it went on too long. And at the moment where... Um, he's finally saved the world from the two machines and oh wait there's still Zod I was kind of like oh boy and part of that may have been the fact that I had a four year old in my lap the whole time who was kind of ready to go (laughs) Um, but also a lot of the conversation we've had here did exactly what I hoped it would do and that helped me to appreciate more the other aspects of the film so the film has risen in my esteem just from this conversation which Mm -hmm. um I, I tend to be swayed by the thoughts of others anyway. So there we go. Um, I am looking forward to seeing it um, with Michael Bailey uh, tonight. And um, because it's already after midnight, so it's tonight now. And I we am haven't gone to bed yet, sir. It's not tomorrow yet. Oh, okay. I'm looking forward to seeing it again in 3D IMAX with Lily Monday morning. So Maybe they'll still have the cool 3D glasses that some theaters were getting. Ooh, I want them. Were they, what kind of 3D glasses? They were Man of Steel. They they came in a little Man of Steel bag, and they had Man of Steel written on them, and they were blue. And that you see three girls' clothing because of the X-ray vision. And if you leave them unopened, they will be valuable one day. But you can't one watch them. Day. You'll be watching the movie you know, on fuzzy vision. <laughs> oh, God, I got a headache, but I got my glasses. Um <laughs> Michael Bailey, not not yeah. Um, what you should do is is go ahead and just tell them, yeah, I'm going to see the 3D one. May I have the glasses, please? And then just go into the 2D one that you're going to be going to see when you buy the tickets. I that's I okay. I mean, there are times when I buy my ticket online and I just tell them, yeah, I need the 3D glasses, and they give me a pair. Yeah, and and we bought our tickets at at Walmart. Well, you had to go up to the thing to get the tickets. But anyways. Um, okay, well, fair enough. Apparently, uh, had a different process than I did, so. I, I really enjoyed the film. Uh, I, I thought it, it, it did everything I wanted it to do, and on that level, I'm very satisfied. There were a couple, you know, small, minor quibbles throughout uh, that I knew were going to be there. But overall, I, I think I got the Superman film that I really, really wanted to see. I also think that uh, I need to get some sleep and not be a Mr. Cranky Pants. Uh, I, th- I think that would help too, uh, because being a Mr. Cranky Pants tends to bring the entire room down. Uh, You're going to be a negative Nancy. We're all going to call you Nancy from now on. 
I also need to call that hit off of Jeffrey. Um, <laughs> okay, I'll put the word out. I, I, I hope I remember my password. Though, though apparently when I when I thank people on Facebook and don't give a reason, Chris Johnson thinks that I'm having people kill other people for me. So maybe I should just keep that going. Uh, more than anything, I think it's great that after seeing this film, I was able to sit down with a uh, you know, bunch of friends and, and talk it out like a bunch of people sitting around and, and, and talking about a movie they just saw. I think I, it's it's really what I want. Because I was going to come home and write a review for, for my blog, but now I don't have to, and that also makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we can probably cancel Tuesday, actually, at this point. Unless you still want to do it, I'm happy to do it. Uh, pro- we may talk about something else. It'll just see it. Let's just see how the rest of my vacation goes. Yeah, that's fine. I will be available. So, Jeffrey, um, conversation. yeah. So, for on- for my final thought, I mean, this was a movie that, if I, I were not doing all the stuff that I was doing about the film, I would have done everything in my power to remain spoiler free. Outside of probably watching the the trailers, I wouldn't have watched the clips. I wouldn't have read interviews, all that good stuff. But since I since that was kind of my job, then I was like being paid to do this stuff. I did follow pretty much everything that I could find. Uh, I kind of had to in order to report on it. And by the end, I went into the screening knowing about 70% of the film, and I was right about pretty much almost all of it. Um, I was not positive that Amy Adams was the right choice for Lois Lane. When I saw the film, I realized, okay, yes, she was exactly the the perfect choice for it. I expected there would be a couple of things that would just flat out piss me off, and there just weren't. But for instance, I even figured out that Jonathan Kent would die in, in a tornado back in December. So there's, so there's that. And, uh, I really, really loved the film. I stand by my 10 out of 10. I've seen it twice now. I'm going to see it again tomorrow. I intend to see it a couple more times in theaters as well. And I can't wait for the Blu-ray. I can't wait for the extended edition. And I can't wait for the sequel. I feel really great about about it. And I don't understand why it's not getting all of the positive reviews that based on what my feelings were of it. And I hope that it doesn't that that it doesn't affect it. I would really love to see this film make a billion dollars. I don't think it's going to happen. I I think it's probably going to top out at around uh, eight eight hundred million thereabouts, which is still a lot better than you know any any of the other Superman movies or you know Batman one one and two. I think so. Here's hoping. Fingers crossed. I would love for it to beat Iron Man three, but I don't think that's going to happen either. And it's an unfair comparison. It is an unfair comparison, but it's still a comparison that people are going to make. David? I already said my final thoughts. Did you? Mm-hmm. He, yep. he started. Who did we... Oh. You're left. John. Oh. So, did John go? Yep, everyone's yes. on the e okay. It's very late. Um, <laughs> of, I don't um, envy the editing of this. <laughs> of the five of us, I think... I was probably the one looking forward to this the least. I, I mean, not that I wasn't excited about seeing it, um, but I, I never really. You did moved. get the Walmart tickets, so I mean, you had well, to be looking yeah, exactly. a little bit. Exactly, and it is it is Superman, even though he's not wearing trunks. But um, 
I, I, I never really moved past the cautiously optimistic stage of the, uh, the in the run up to the film, but I came out of it really liking it. It it like I said earlier it's at the top of the show, it's not going to surpass Superman the movie um, in my heart, but it it was much better than I thought it would be. I think Cavill did a solid effort as Superman, and I would actually encourage people to see it. So. There you go. Uh, thanks, guys, for, for coming out and, and chatting Man of Steel with us, uh, or with me, I guess. I, I, when I got home from the movie, I was going to do a, just kind of a spontaneous podcast. I thought about that on the way home, and I just happened to post on Facebook for these guys. If they were online, they should join me on Skype, and we could just do a little fanboy chat. And Thank you for it, the invitation. Yeah. It, it turned into like a three-hour chat now. So, uh, But, guys, thanks a lot. Um, while we were, we were chatting, we're going to talk about it anyway, so you might as well record it. Well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, while we were chatting, about a half an hour into it, I messaged another podcaster friend of ours, uh, Joshua Bertoni, and invited him to join if he'd seen the movie. He said he hadn't seen it. He's going to go see it uh, tomorrow or, or, or on uh, Saturday. But he said, if I had to pass along a message uh, to your chatting group, I'd say this, and I, I think it would be the perfect note to end on. Uh, he says, F- the critics. If you enjoyed the movie, nobody can take that experience away from you. If they're wrong, let them be wrong, and just keep on enjoying what was hopefully a good movie. And it was. And it was. And it was. Thanks again, guys, for joining me, and to you listeners, thanks for listening. Gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero, Superman. The Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast. Superman in the Bronze Age. From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. The New 52 Adventures of Superman. Superman Forever Radio. I've got a few things to say about Superman. The Carousel Podcast. The Superman Vidcast. The world's best podcast. And Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer. J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Danny Sapp, Cayman Stoll, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co-host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Once again, I want to thank Michael, John, David, and Jeffrey for joining me for this special uh, Superman podcast. If you want to hear these fine gentlemen talk more about Superman and his various incarnations, Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor can both be heard on From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which you can find at supermanhomepage.com. Michael also hosts Views from the Long Box, which... Throughout 2013 is is having a series of episodes that he calls Superman at 75, a celebration of a legend, and you can find that at viewsfromthelongbox.com. 
As mentioned in the show, Jeffrey does a column at Movies.com where he talks about Superman and Man of Steel and various other uh, incarnations of Superman. So head on over there and check that out. Check that out as well. John Wilson can be heard on Golden Age Superman, which you can find at GoldenAgeSuperman.Libsyn.com. And you can also hear him and J. David Weeder on the New 52 Adventures of Superman, which you'll find at new52superman.libsyn.com. And David also has his own solo podcast, Superman Forever Radio, which can be found at supermanforever.com. As for me, as I said earlier, I host The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, which you can find at greatcrypton.com. And, of course, all of these guys in their shows, along with many other quality Superman-related podcasts, are proud members of the Superman Podcast Network, which you can find at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Be sure to check out all their shows and Superman-related projects. These guys are among the biggest Superman fans I know. They, they really put their heart and soul into everything they do concerning the Man of Steel, and I'm happy to be able to call each and every one of them friend. As always, Superman is copyright DC Comics, and don't forget the two guys that made the movie possible in the first place, the creators of Superman, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. I want to thank you again for listening, and remind you, to borrow a catchphrase from Scotty V, to always look up in the sky. Damn it!